comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. recording and this is out now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron and as always this is Okay, so Abe isn't here this week. Uh much to the chagrin of many of our loyal listeners and not so much to loyal listener Mike Blakemore, but this is out now with Aaron and Abe and it is a film podcast Abe and I discussing new movies weekly. We also bring a discussion about the latest movie trailers, box office results and predictions, a callback to fast films similar to the main film of the week, games, and other fun stuff. This is episode 82, and we're going to be talking about Lincoln, and along with Lincoln, we're going to focus on, like, the later part of Spielberg's career. We're going to just do kind of a little bit of a retrospective. Joining me to discuss all these things, we have a writer for Things That I Know About the Movies and MovieSmackdown.com, temporarily living out of an airport terminal at JFK, Adam Gentry. What's up, beautiful people? Writer for Fast Film Reviews, currently hiding away from aliens by holding up with Tim Robbins in a shack, Mark Hoban. Hey, everyone. And writer for the VHS Diaries, spending his weeknights trying to outdrink Captain Haddock in a search for the lost unicorn, Alan Aguilera. I like my intro better. Okay. <laughs> That was nice. I enjoy that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Alright, everyone everyone doing well? We ready? We ready to see what Lincoln's thinking? Definitely. Oh, Lord. Yep. You went there. I did. Oh, I went there, alright. And, uh, so yeah, let's just, let's, let's just get into it here. Uh, a few announcements. Uh, happy birthday, Mark Johnson. Uh, frequent guest of the show. He celebrated a birthday today, or yesterday, so. Woo! Just, just calling it. Everyone's having birthdays, apparently. You know, yeah. old people, old people rock. <laughs> he'll old be, people. He'll be happy to hear that. And um, as we we kind of brought this up just before we started recording, but yeah, congratulations, Mark Hoban, for more members of the family. Always happy to hear things like that. Family's getting bigger. Yep. Speaking of families getting bigger, uh, uh, friend of the show, guest, frequent guest, not frequent, but guest on the show, Christian Spicer. Uh, he just had his his first child a few weeks like a week ago. So congratulations to him. Congrats, buddy. Uh, woohoo! He um in a in a case of, of tit for tat. Um, I just was at one of his comedy shows on Friday, and he gave a shout out to Out Now Podcast. So I figured, why not give a shout out to that show? It's called Improv vs. Stand Up, and it happens monthly in L.A. So free to check that show out because it's quite hilarious if you're in the L.A. area. Um, let's see, emails. We got one. Got one email. Let's get into it because I like this question quite a bit. It's from Corbin. Feel free for all you guys to answer it. Let's Corbin see. Dallas. Yes, Corbin Dallas Multipass has this question all the way from Flost in Paradise. I have another question. With Breaking Dawn Part Two opting to go with the 10 p.m. showings instead of the midnight showings, do you think you and your guests? I love how he addresses all of us that are on the podcast. 
Do you and your guests think that midnight shillings are going to start going away for good within the next five years? So he's got like a two-parter because he's giving us an over-under and the fat and an idea of midnight shillings going away. Personally, and you guys can feel free to answer once I'm got my first personally, I I never think midnight shillings will go away. I don't necessarily know if the Friday showing's always going to be the first initial showing all the time, but midnight showings is kind of like that's kind of irregardless of when the movie starts playing. I think there's always going to be a midnight showing just for like that super amped crowd because it's a nice way to kind of get that going. What do you What do you guys think? I think the midnight showings will stick around for movies that matter. Because I, mean, I, I don't know, like the ten o'clock thing, or whatever. At that point, is just a cash grab. Um to try to put in more showings, because they were still doing midnight showings anyway. Yeah. It was 10 o'clock, then midnight, whatever. So, I don't think they're going to go away, but, because it's only like a couple movies that have the 10 o'clock showing. It's like Paranormal Activity, it's Twilight. I'm sure there was like a good movie that had a 10 o'clock midnight showing. Paramount does them a lot. Like, they did one for like Iron Man, they do them for the Transformer movies some occasionally like they do like 9 p.m. showings in NPA. And I think it's because like you have like kind of a general audience that wants to see these movies and not just like a very particular crowd, yeah. adult crowd or, you know, something like that. So like with Twilight, you have a crowd that's, you know, made up of primarily of like teen, of preteens and moms. And so, you know, going to go to a, like a 10 p.m. show as opposed to a midnight showing and they get to go to school the next day and talk about how they saw Twilight. Teens and moms, way to ostracize anybody else who wants to see this film. I said preteens. I think it makes sense culturally as we move, you know, more into, you know, instant gratification on demand and it just gets more and more prevalent. So, I mean, I think it makes sense that, oh yeah, great. All right, guys, see the Friday movie on Monday. But, I mean, how far do you take this thing? Is yeah, you know, I, mean, I actually think it's going to have the opposite effect. Not only are Midnight's showings going to remain, but I think they're going to slowly start pushing the, uh, you know, our first showing earlier and earlier. Now we have 10 o'clock showings. Pretty soon it's going to be 8 o'clock. Later it'll be 6. You know. And just change the release date, you know what I mean? It just seems foolish. I mean, I get sort <laughs> it's of gonna where they're coming Thursdays, from. yeah. Yeah, there's gonna exactly. be all these posters with, like, big Sharpie marks through them as they keep changing the day of the release and they don't have time to make new posters to reflect that. Do you want to see the Christmas 2013 movie? Well, guess what, guys? You're in luck. A one year early first screening ever. Come on. <laughs> it's not finished yet, guys, but we have a whole previous animation of what it's gonna look like next year. What's a little, That's all that is. <laughs> Okay, so thank you, Corbin, for that question. Um, if you feel like emailing questions to us, it's outnowpodcast at gmail.com. We are happy to get questions all the time. We like answering them on the show. It just makes it easier for me to work. And um, if you do like the show and you like us answering questions and you like our guests and you like anything about the show, feel free to write about that in our you know, our iTunes reviews and ratings section. You can just quickly give us a star rating and possibly write something out. It's very easy to do. It helps out the show. Willing to get those, happy to get them, really thankful for getting them. All right, so let's move on to Know Everybody where we each week ask each other a few questions to kind of set the tone for the podcast and better get to know everybody. So, with that said, I'm going to let Adam start this one off this week. Mark, do you have a favorite U.S. president? And if so, who? Um, let's see. You know, I'm going to say my favorite U.S. president is Calvin Coolidge. Nice. Does that, does that throw you for a loop? I wasn't and, expecting a Coolidge because he's one of no, the. Most I, I don't think that guy's been mentioned since he was president. Um, but you know the reason is because when I was in fifth grade, we all had to do uh, reports on the president and uh, different presidents, and everyone was given one uh, arbitrarily, and I was given Calvin Coolidge, 
So I've always had a, a very particular affinity towards that president. I had a president project. I had to do William Howard Taft. <laughs> Ed Carter. By the way, uh, Calvin, Coolidge. Calvin Coolidge, one of the worst uh, presidents of all time. <laughs> he, he, he is actually not a very popular president. I, at the time, I really wasn't, you know, I wasn't aware of, but like, subsequently, I've like, looked at the way history views different presidents, and he's, you know, not, William Henry Harrison, I mean, he was only president for 30 days, so he's probably not particularly well known either, but, yeah. But, but he didn't do bad things while in office, he just died. He wasn't given the chance to ruin things in Washington. <laughs> Mark your right. Okay. Um, so there's a, in, uh, we're dealing with Lincoln this week, and of there's a lot of supporting parts. Uh, Alan, of all Yo. the supporting parts in Lincoln, who was your favorite? Tommy Lee Jones. Well, I would consider him more. Um, I really like Lee Pace as a. The congressman from, I yes. believe, New York, Fernando. I thought he was really, I totally he's really fun to watch, man. I, 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 I go, I go with Lee Pace. Um, that's a good answer. I actually probably would say the same thing. For like a while, I kept thinking it was Steve Coogan. I'm like, wait, no, that's not Steve Coogan. Hmm. But it had a, oh, like, right? it had a very, yeah. good, you don't look yeah. like Steve Coogan. I was like, what? Yeah. It was all that hair. It was, yeah, it was all the hair. It was still so how much more awesome it would have been if it had been Steve Coogan, though. Would have that would have been even better. But I like Lee Pace. I was like, oh, wait a minute, that is Lee Pace. He just has a lot of hair. <laughs> a lot of hair and very poofy uh, sleeves on his shirt. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Okay. Hey, Mark, do you think that with Twilight coming out at 10 p.m., that within five years or so... <laughs> <laughs> uh, jokes. Hey, Aaron. Yeah. Um, do you think that if Liam Neeson was casted as Lincoln... It would have made this. You think? Who do you think would have made a better film <laughs> with Vanity Lewis being Lincoln or Liam Neeson? Um, if anyone's not aware, Alan's referring to the fact that Liam Neeson was supposed to play Lincoln for quite a while before he had to. Oh, I wasn't out. aware of that. Thank you. But um, you know, it's they'd be different movies. Like I feel like. I feel like Liam Neeson would probably be able to to nail the part. I don't know if he'd be able to nail it to the extent that Daniel Day-Lewis has, but that's just because Daniel Day-Lewis literally dug the grave of Lincoln and lived in it with him for, like, four months so he could properly study the role. No, but, like, Daniel Day-Lewis is so intense as a as a method actor. it's it's It feels like, well, I think Mark Homer might put it best, Lincoln, <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis is more Lincoln than Lincoln. No, you're <laughs> stealing. I'm, I'm sorry, but you put it that. in there. It's a good, it's a I good can't role. believe you stole my thunder. That's how I roll. What a, what a terrible host. <laughs> but, I had this whole intro to talk about when I was going to do my review. Abe, Abe, can you edit? Help, help, help a buddy out. Come on, help Mark I, out. I was going to say, may I paraphrase Rob Zombie by saying, you know. I Okay, so I, I, don't, <clears throat> I honestly, I don't know. I would say Daniel Day-Lewis probably would still be a better Lincoln than Liam Neeson is just because he's because of him approaching it in such the way that he did. Well, I feel like Liam Neeson would give him more of the authoritative thing and but you wouldn't I don't know though God. I keep, I'm thinking back to the gray <laughs> like he's I'd like, like to see him do the taken speech over telegram that'd be good that'd be good I mean I think to say that Daniel Day Lewis is the most perfect Lincoln is not to take away from uh Liam Neeson's ability but I think in this role it well I mean look at it like this I remember hearing about this movie back in high school when they was in development and they said if it's Liam Neeson and they said oh that's perfect and then he had to back out, 
and then they got Daniel Day-Lewis, and I thought, well, we went from perfect to even more perfect. Yeah. So, I mean, it's degrees of the same thing. All right. Um, Adam? Yeah? Is there a historical figure that you would want to see a film about with a specific actor in mind? Ooh. Oh, I love this question. Can I answer this question, too? If you want to. <laughs> after? Yeah. Oh, I don't like answering. Oh, that is a good question. Um, thinking for a second here. Gosh. Well, oh, it'd, be I great see, it'd, great, it'd be great to see anybody do George W. Bush again, right? Huh? Not really. Um, <laughs> um, gosh. That is, a, that is a solid question. I feel like I have one right on the tip of my... Walt Whitman. I'd like to... See, that would be curious. I would be interested to see a Walt Whitman movie. And as far as who would play him, that is... A, that's really interesting. Morgan Freeman. Yeah, because Morgan Freeman can do anything. Um, He'd be a good Lincoln. Ironically, ironically enough, the first person that comes to mind is James Franco. But I think that's more because he played Allen Ginsberg, and Ginsberg is so much of a spiritual descendant of Whitman's. So, I mean, I would, I'll would i go with Whitman, um, and I'm not exactly sure who I would cast yet, but okay. maybe one of you guys will have a good idea. If you come up with an answer, feel free to just shout it out at a random time, but don't really address the question again. Just shout out a random name, and I'll know what it is. Excellent. Okay. Mark, what was your answer? But what, Can I hear the question again? Because maybe I, I misheard it. If, is there a historical figure that you'd want to see a film about with a oh, okay. specific actor in mind? Okay, so any historical figure. Yes. But I, I, I was thinking kind of in, you know, the presidency. Go for it. I have always prayed and hoped that Glenn Close would play George Washington. I think oh, it, nice. would be, it would be the most amazing movie. And she would just play the part, like not even any reference to the fact that she is a woman. She'd just play it like very Linda Hunt. Year of Living Dangerously style, and I think she could win the Academy Award easily. You hear that, Hollywood? <laughs> Call me up. I'll. I like that. That's a, that's. Yeah. A, you know what? I I have another one. I was just thinking about. I don't think there have been any films made about Muhammad, and I mean it'd be like weird, it'd be the toughest movie to make unless you were like a fundamentalist because like they would freak out. They're not going to make that movie. Yeah, like, that's I'm not just, a movie that's going to be made. I well, Aaron didn't ask what was going to be made, but oh, what I like to see made. And I, that actually is interesting just to think about, because I mean, think about it. Certain stories like the Jesus story, for example, everybody and their brother knows the Jesus story. Whereas it'd be fascinating to see somebody trying to actually tell that story. Again, they couldn't because there would be certain factions within Islam that would have issues with any kind of portrayal, but it'd be really interesting. To be fair, I don't actually know the entire Jesus story. Oh, really? Jew. Why would, why would that be? <laughs> <laughs> But did, well, you, the entire story. But you've seen the Last Temptation of Christ, right? I've not seen the Last Temptation or the Passion. You have not? Well, the Passion is just a very limited section. I know. But the, the Last Temptation is uh, one that I want to see, just because I'm like, that sounds crazy. I like that what if scenario. That's cool. Scorsese, yeah. So I'm waiting for the 3D conversion. That's yeah, the, I mean, it's that. a Scorsese movie. You have to see it. Uh, yeah, so I'm waiting for the 3D conversion. Uh, <laughs> can Can I answer the question? <laughs> yes, go. I'd like to see a movie about Bill Paxton with Bill Pullman playing Bill Paxton. Historical figures, you got it. All right, so that's how you play Know Everybody. Let's move on to yeah. trailer talk, where we discuss some of the latest movie trailers. Um, let's go with the uh, our first one. Let's go with the new Soderbergh movie. It's called Side Effects, and it stars a host of different people, including Channing Tatum, again, 
uh, Rooney Mara, Jude Law, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Um, the movie is about, is about I guess, uh, turning to medication and the fallout from that, that's in more ways than one. That's, that's the, the limit, the most limited way I can talk about the plot of this movie. Um, I'll start with Adam Gentry. What do, what do you think of the side effects of It's funny because, uh, you don't really get that. You kind of get the contagion vibe, but you don't really get the Soderbergh vibe from watching the trailer. I remember, I remember watching it and I'm sitting there watching and whatnot. And like, when I figured I was Rooney Mara, that was really exciting because I really liked Rooney Mara, you know, particularly after Dragon Tattoo. I mean, oh my gosh. So excited to see where, where she goes. I mean, it's the kind of thing where I don't think, I don't think the movie's going to be an amazing film. You know, Contagion's not great. It's pretty solid, but it's not great. It's a good genre um, movie. But I'm, but I'm into the idea just because, I mean, Soderbergh is nothing if not always interesting. And I like his cast. And I want to see what Rimara does next. Uh, Mark? Actually, when I saw the trailer for this, I, I didn't know about this film. And as I was watching and I saw Rooney Mara and, uh, Catherine Zeta Jones and, um, uh, what's the? Jude? Ch- Channing Tatum and Jude Law. I, I was thinking, gosh, this, these are all kind of the, uh, the actors that Steven Soderbergh works with. And then, sure enough, it was a Steven Soderbergh movie. So I, I actually kind of did feel like this felt like a movie that he would direct. Um, so, I mean, I like him as a director, so it sounds like something I would be interested in seeing. Not not something, you know, spectacular, but it, it looks interesting enough. Alan? Oh, uh, well, I'll watch it. It looks, looks like a movie... Uh, it kind of threw me for loop because it seems like there was a lot going on in the trailer where in the beginning it was a nice little build up and then at the end it just kind of bombarded you with, uh, different images and, I don't know, it's just, it was, uh, to me it was an oddly paced trailer but it's still a movie I still want to see, uh, because of Soddenberg and the, and the acting pedigree of all the people involved. So the movie I really, I'm really interested in, um, looks probably better than Haywire. And about the same level of, um, how can I put it? About the same level of, damn it, I forgot my word. I'm still making it. Acumen? No, see, I was thinking acumen, it's not acumen. The same level of, uh, skill? It looks about as good as Contagion. How about that? Alright. But that's pretty good though, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, I not, like, cool. it's not it's not traffic good, but contagion good is still pretty good. Nothing's traffic good. That movie's awesome. Pretty awesome. I love traffic. Um, Put that on the background. What's up? <laughs> Thanks. Um, <laughs> I I'm intrigued to see the movie. I I mean, it's a Soderbergh movie. It has a good cast. I will say that this is probably the least interesting trailer for a Soderbergh movie that I've seen in a while. That's kind right. of where I came up with it. I, it feels I, a little going through the motions or something. I Yeah, I feel like it's more of a movie like, hey, go see this because it's directed by Steven Soderbergh, not because this trailer made you look, wanted to go see it. That's kind of... And Ellen's got a point, too. I mean, you get to the end, and it's just sort of like hitting over the head with, we're crazy, we're crazy, everybody's crazy. Yeah, and like compared to even movie, like, it's, I liked Haywire, but I mean, it's, it's, certainly, yeah. it's certainly more throwaway than other Soderbergh movies. So, I like, guess. but I still, I, I like the trailers for those movies more than I, and Contagion, and... The other race. Quick something. shout out to the fight scenes in Haywire. I mean, as you know, a martial artist, like that movie gets a lot of stuff so right, and it was awesome to see. Again, the story, okay, but oh man, quick shout out, had to do it. 
Go for it. And even like the Magic Mike trailer. Like those are trailers where I'm like, I want to see these movies more than the the one that I saw for side effects. But uh still, I do want to see the movie just because it's a new Soderbergh movie and has a good cast and like the There's a there's a, a hidden Easter egg at the end though, like of Magic Mike two, the return. Where they all they they all go to Miami. Oh yeah. Okay, so Side Effects comes out uh February eighth, twenty thirteen. The next trailer we're going to talk about is for House of Cards, and this is the first, uh, or the, this is the, uh, the, uh, David Fincher produced, um, Netflix series, so it's going to be, it's a 13 episode, um, miniseries, or series, TV series, whatever, that's going to debut on, na- on Netflix, not actually on TV, but it seems like a cool thing to talk about. I'll thank Alan Aguilar for the suggestion, and I'm going to let him start off with what he thought of the trailer. Um, it's, it seems like it's a lot of political intrigue, a lot of scheming, a lot of, um, back and forth, a lot of, uh, backhouse dealings, and I'm for it. And it looks really good. Um, has a really strong exceptional cast of Kevin Spacey, uh, Robin Wright. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to rock and roll and see what, see what this has in store for me. I really like, uh, political dramas a lot. Um, so it seems like a really extended version of maybe Eyes of March. Where it kind of has a lot of great, great actors and some strong writing and, um, kind of how they're, uh, dealing with one another and to have a bunch of different power plays. And it seems like it's really pushed on, um, dialogue, which, which just looks really good for me. Like it's, it seems like it's a nice, um, it seems like it'll be a really good experience watching it on Netflix and it seems like it might be a, Risky venture for Netflix as a company, but one that I'm willing to support as long as it's good. Awesome. Mark Hogan? Um, well, you know, you've got Kevin Spacey in it, and David Fincher is also involved, so that kind of reminds me of Seven. And, uh, of course, that's not a bad reference. Uh, so that obviously means that it's probably going to be a very high quality and well done, um, series. Whether I'll actually seek it out and watch, I don't know, is another story. I'm sure if somebody like threw it in front of me and I was forced to watch it, I would enjoy it. But I don't, I don't really see myself like seeking it out to to go watch it. But I, I, I'm sure it's gonna be. It looks, you know, like a well done effort. Adam, I love good political thrillers. I love Kevin Spacey. I love David Fincher. Um, I'm excited. I'm in. Uh, yeah, I kind of echo Alan and Adam Adam's thoughts. I'm I'm down. I'm very in, I'm interested in this in for both the content and the you know people involved, and because it's like it's a TV series debuting on Netflix. I'm very curious how this is going to pan out for Netflix and for just the way TV happens. I'm not thinking, saying thinking this is going to you know change the shape of television as we know it. Dramatic voice, but um, I I think it. It's an interest. It's an interesting release strategy, and I'm, I'm I'm curious to see how that factors into things. But that said, yeah, I do. I like Kevin Spacey. I like I like this trailer and how it presents his character. I like the idea. It seems like he's breaking the fourth wall. Did you guys get that? Yeah, uh, yeah. The first thing right from the beginning of the yeah. trailer starts. It's with, a great. It's yeah. a great shot, by the way. So I'm not crazy. So yeah, I, I I'm curious to see how that factors into the series itself. Um, and yeah, I. I'm curious though why this became a Netflix series and not an actual like series on a cable network or something. Like like how did that? I'd like, imagine that Fincher and what's his name, uh, Bill Willimon and Spacey. I think they're because they all were involved in development of it. I imagine they probably had this idea and were shopping it around, and they got the option to Netflix, and they probably gave them the best deal. Uh, this is probably the first. I think this is the first big series to actually 
debut on Netflix? I mean, it, Arrested yeah. Development is coming. The Arrested Development is coming. Played. There's a couple else that are in development. There was one called Lilyhammer that debuted last year, I believe, and that was kind of that was kind of already made. I think it's a, it was in Norway. It was it was like it's That's like the it's, one with uh, with Steven Van Zandt. Yeah, with the yeah from Sopranos. He he starred in the series. It was like Norwegian American. I think it's Norwegian. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Norwegian. And like I think Netflix kind of bought the rights to it and distributed it, but I don't think it was produced by Netflix. Pretty sure. Someone can correct me at outnowpodcast@gmail.com if you feel the need to. But uh, yeah, this is uh, yeah House of Cards. I believe is like the first like big Netflix season to like to debut. So. But yeah, that said, House of Cards, which is I believe is a 13 episode series, will uh, season will debut February 1st, 2013. I'm not sure if it's all in one or if it'll be like week by week or not. I think it's all in one actually, though. That's how they're really. That's how they previously did, and that's how the Arrested Development's going to be done as well. They're just going to release it all in one, one go. Oh my gosh, I'm not going to get any. I know you're going to be overwhelmed. You're going, like, oh, there's so many of these. <laughs> it's just too much. Yeah, but uh, yeah, there you go. All right, so let's uh. Our movie trailer talk. Let's move on to our discussion of the film Lincoln. Congress must never declare equal those whom God created unequal. Leave the Constitution alone. We are stepped out upon the world stage now with the fate of human dignity in our hands. Blood's been spilled to afford us this moment now, now, now. has asked us to work with him to accomplish the death of slavery. No one's ever been loved so much by the people. Don't waste that power. This fight is for the United States of America. Do we choose to be born, or we fit it to the times we're born into? Well, I don't know about myself. You may be. should have been some of the trailer for Lincoln. This is the new Steven Spielberg film about Abraham Lincoln, and while it's not a biopic, as some people might have thought it might have been, instead it covers the last four months of his career, mainly the time period in which he was trying to pass the 13th Amendment of the Constitution, the the uh, the, the ending, the, the abolition of slavery. And um, it's set in 1865, it's towards the end of the Civil War, basically Daniel D. Lewis as Lincoln is trying to secure the vote for the 13th Amendment. He's He has a number of his own people in his office, as well as some other people he tries to involve in getting, basically, things to work out his way, which may consist of giving some good speeches, or some good monologues, or just resorting, resorting to dirty politics. Uh, Sally Field co-stars his wife, uh, Mary Todd Lincoln, uh, Tommy Lee Jones is in there as the character whose name just escaped my mind. <laughs> Thank you, Thaddeus Stevens. Um, there's, a, there's a host of people in here. David Strathairn is secretary State William Seward, Joseph Gordon-Levitt stars his son, Robert Todd Lincoln, pretty much, as I've said before, everyone that's not in Argo, that's a character actor, is in Lincoln. So there you go. With all that said, I'm going to start with Adam Gentry. What did you think of Lincoln? Um, been looking forward to this one for a long time. And, you know, if you, if you sat down and told somebody, hey, you said Disney's going to release a movie by Steven Spielberg about Lincoln... And it's going to star Daniel Day Lewis. It's pretty much what you'd expect. I mean, the only difference would be that I would have thought it was going to be a, a, a more inclusive biopic. And I think that the reason, the fact that they didn't do that is, um, is really positive. And, uh, 
that Tony Kushner deserves a lot of credit for focusing in. I mean, think about it. You sit down and you're like, hey, okay, so we want you to write uh, Lincoln. Okay, go. And that's a pretty daunting task. And for him to focus it in on such an interesting part of Lincoln's career is really interesting because, um, and I just used interesting twice there in case you were counting. It was really fast and annoying. But I mean, it's it's really cool the way that it, you see a different side to Lincoln. You see sort of the political games, like you mentioned, Aaron, you know, him playing dirty politics and just getting his feet dirty and his hand and just getting in the mire and, and swinging. Um, I mean, it's the kind of movie, at least as far as I'm concerned, that you really like for sentimental reasons. Because, I mean, it, it kind of gives you what you expect it to give you. Um, it pulls on the heartstrings at the places you expect it to pull on the heartstrings. The music swells at the places you expect it to swell during the different speeches and whatnot. Um, Daniel Day-Lewis is really, really fantastic, and he's masterful. It's it's hard to throw more praise on that guy, because you think he'd already said it all, but he's fantastic. So, I mean, I don't think this is one of Spielberg's masterpieces, or even one of his more interesting films, but it's the kind of movie that uh, really just rewards you exactly as you think it would, and, and I'm grateful for that. I'm going to jump in, even though I generally like to go last, but uh, I, because I completely agree with what you just said, Adam, and uh, I... I Enjoyed this movie for a number of reasons, which I'll get into later, but I've been following the idea of Lincoln as a movie from Spielberg for quite a while. And I remember very early on, Tom Hanks was like rumored to be Lincoln, and then obviously Liam, Liam Neeson was like officially cast as Lincoln, and then that didn't happen. Then you got Daniel D. Lewis, and he just, I mean, he, we'll, we'll be singing the praise of Daniel D. Lewis for a while. I don't know if he's necessarily going to like win the Oscar for a best actor. But he's certainly going to be up there, and he's going to, you know, it, the, the betting pool starts starts now on, you know, whether or not he's going to win. And but he's pretty amazing as the character. That said, I really like Tommy Lee Jones in this movie as well. And um, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of points I want to get into, but mainly I I did enjoy this movie. I enjoyed it mainly for the more political intrigue going on in it, opposed to the familial stuff that I think is more added on, if anything. But I do think the movie's well made. I think it it may run longer than it has to, and it may, while it has this kind of structure that I like to see in a movie in terms of how it's focused on just this period in Lincoln's life, as opposed to being an entire biopic on Lincoln, which I don't think any movie, even if it's two and a half hours, could do kind of proper justice to while making it, you know, completely interesting, unless it involves vampire hunting. But um, overall, I do, yeah, I do. I did enjoy this movie. I don't. Yeah, I I agree with Adam. I don't think it's one of Spielberg's greatest or most interesting, but I think it's a very competent film, which is what you can easily expect from someone like Steven Spielberg making it. And I think it's quite worth checking out for sure. Uh, Mark. Okay. Well, so as you sort of telegraphed, I think Daniel Day Lewis is amazing as Lincoln. I mean, we don't have video records to tell us, you know, how he spoke and acted, and you know. Where we have to kind of guess, I think Daniel Day-Lewis does a flawless job at sort of embodying his temperament and, you know, the way he, the pitch of his voice. And he makes a lot of decisions that may even seem a little bit, uh, you know, they're, they're decisions that he has to make that with the performance that isn't one that we've seen in previous incarnations of Lincoln, like Henry Fonda and stuff. But I, and I think that Daniel Day-Lewis portrait becomes the definitive portrait he's amazing and he's riveting so as far as his performance is concerned i absolutely you know really loved it he he you know very he will be nominated for sure 
and whether he wins, I that's up in the air. But he, he's definitely uh, the reason to see this film. Um, I do have to, you know, congratulate Spielberg on his chutzpah because he takes a, a a period of history and doesn't set it on the battlefields of the Civil War, but rather in the political chambers of Washington. And it's really a most uncommercial movie in that it rings drama simply over the deliberation of an idea. And everything, I mean, basically the whole action has to do with Lincoln's desire to obtain 20 Democratic votes or abstentions for the 13th Amendment. That's the action. And so in one sense, I really have to admire Spielberg's ability to take this very narrow idea and make an, you know, a two and a half hour movie out of it. So I did admire the film very much. And overall, I would, you know, give it a recommendation, but I don't think it's an easy film to really love. I, I think there are parts to it that they do drag and it is a very sort of specific point of view that Spielberg has decided to take. And he, he took a book, uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin, a book called Team of Rivals, uh, The Political Genius of Abraham Lincoln. And while that book actually dealt with the entire presidency of Abraham Lincoln, they've decided to just focus on this one aspect. And I, again, I can admire that, especially, Adam, you've said, you know, it's it's a focus and it's sort of interesting that he decides to just talk about this one narrow area. That gives him the ability to really delve into this discussion of the 13th Amendment. But I, I did find myself at times sort of wishing, wow, I wish it had been a little bit more um, than just this one aspect. But again, you know, definitely a, a well-done job. And for people who are into that kind of political uh, discussion, they're going to really enjoy this film. But for those who aren't into that, they should not watch this film. I don't think they would enjoy it. Um, Alan, I'll let you go in just a second. I just want to add something. It's not opinion either way. It's just more just uh, on the story. It's uh, with the with the screenplay for the story. There were one of the reasons it took so long is because they did not know what kind of story they wanted to tell in the in Tony Kushner, along with others, but Tony Kushner. Yeah, John Logan for a while. John His Logan, yeah. Rejected there him. was there was many drafts of Lincoln there, and um, they finally kind of put this one together and went with went with this period of the of his life. Like there's a whole there's a whole draft written on like based on that entire book on the, on the and, entire. And Kushner's period. first draft was 500 pages. Yeah, it was super long. So they finally just settled on this specific period. But we can get into that more later. Alan, what did you think of Lincoln? Um. I haven't really talked about it with anybody, so this is really exciting. Um, I think it's Spielberg's best movie since Munich. Um, I think that Daniel Day-Lewis is fantastic and he's amazing, and the thing that I think that really worked for Daniel Day-Lewis in this film as Lincoln is that he wasn't plain view. He wasn't the butcher. He wasn't these big, bombastic um, Daniel Day-Lewis performances that we're used to, that we're familiar with that at some point I think a lot of us are expecting. Um, he's very subdued, he's very subtle, he's very quiet, he's very meticulous as Lincoln. And it's when he gets... Um, there's a scene in the in the trailer where, where he's talking about now, 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 and making everything happen, and then he kind of goes to the next scene about saying he's the president of the United States and he wields immense power. It's when he decides to finally go to that moment at Lincoln that you start feeling um, how important it is to him. Because, from what I understand from Lincoln and the history of what I've read and Team of Rivals, which is one of my favorite books, he was very meticulous in how he dealt with 
people, how he was a political shark and how he did things. So kind of seeing how Daniel Day-Lewis kind of almost pulled itself back from being the Daniel Day-Lewis actor that we know and actually coming out and being the, the subtle, nuanced Abraham Lincoln kind of worked better. And he let other actors kind of steal the show, almost. Because I think that, uh, Tommy Lee Jones is fantastic as Thaddeus Stevens, and I think he has some of the better moments in the film. And Lee Pace, and also um, James Spader and Justin Hawks. And, um, oh, Criminy, what's his name? James Spader? Are you, oh, you said him. No, the James guy, Spader. The guy Justin that was Hawks. a serious man. Uh, Michael Stuhlberg. Yeah. No, Michael Stuhlberg was fantastic, too. He had a very, very important role. All these people, uh, even Gail from Breaking Bad, everybody had their <laughs> moment. There was, um, uh, what's his name? It's, 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 oh, Tim Blake Nelson. Those three guys. John Hawks. A lot of, Tim Blake yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they all had, th- those are some of my favorite scenes, especially when um, they dealt with a lot of different characters in the film. And it was kind of almost, a, they brought in moments of levity, but it's also incredibly important. And the fact that they focused on the political um, aspect of getting that 13th Amendment changed in that aspect and in that environment, to me, was more interesting than putting it on the battlefield. Because we've seen that movie. We've seen yeah. Glory. We've seen countless other Civil War films, and I don't really want to see that. I don't particularly mm-hmm. care to see that anymore. I want to see what Lincoln did and how he talked and how he dealt with the people around him. Um, I, I love this movie. I don't know if you guys can tell. Um, there's only one kind of one or two kind of slow parts, but the thing that kind of showed me that I didn't really like was Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Because he's a cool guy, I like watching him in movies, but you kind of see how how short he is as an actor when he has to act against Daniel Day-Lewis. You drafted half the men in Boston. What do you think their families think about me? The only reason they don't throw things and spit on me is because you're so popular. I can't concentrate on on British mercantile law. I don't care about British mercantile law. I might not even want to be a lawyer. It's a sturdy profession and a useful one. Yes, and I want to be useful. <laughs> when he has to act against these other great actors around him. Um, J- J- Jared Harris barely saying anything around him, just kind of acts circles around him just by being Grant. Just and by I being Jared Harris. Just by being Jared Harris, he kind of shows... Like, honestly, I'd be humbled if I was Joseph Gordon-Levitt walking onto that set. I almost wouldn't have taken the part because it would have made me look as novice as he did. What's that? Because how good of this movie is. This was fantastic, and I enjoyed it, and I could talk about it for a long time. What's up, Aaron? So let, let's, get, let's get into that a little, because Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who is an actor I like, I think we all like. Uh, I like him. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and I, I don't think it's necessarily his fault, as, you know, it, regarding, like, his talents as an actor, like him versus, you know, veteran actors in this film, but I don't think his character is really necessary in this movie. That's one of my biggest things about the movie. I get... I think, I, I, I get what they're, I get why he's there, and I get what, what he means and how he factors into the story, but I also think having him kind of takes, it drags the movie down, and I think it, it, it feels like an added element that doesn't add a whole lot to it. I think he has, yeah. Joseph Gordon Levitt kind of has the, the Scarlett Johansson problem from about 2000, you know, four, you know, 2000, you know, the mid part of the last decade, where his star power is going a bit further than his talent at the moment. And he's a, he's a, he's a capable actor. He's a good actor. You know, he's, he's nice to watch. But he's getting cast. He's, you know, his star power is putting him in all these movies that maybe he's not quite best suited for. It. 
I, I don't think that. I don't. I mean, for one thing, I think he's far more charismatic than Scarlett Johansson has when was when she was suddenly getting all these big roles and things. But I, again, I don't, I don't think it's I don't think it's a problem with the fact of how he's acting in this movie. I just don't think the part that he has in this movie is necessary. <laughs> I don't think it, I don't think the movie gives him much to do, and I don't think it it, it it I don't think it even kind of satisfies his plot thread in this movie. I think one of the reasons why Spielberg. I think that subject is interesting to Spielberg, the relationship between a father and a son. Yeah, I mean, that's, look at it, you look at his movies, a lot of times it's about the relationship or the absence of a relationship. So that would probably was something that spoke to Spielberg, so that's probably why that aspect was was put into the film. Yeah, I yeah, and it's it's completely not surprising to me the fact that there is a theme involving fathers and sons in this movie. No, but but at the same time, I was far more intrigued by the the stuff going on in the in the White House and what's going on, you know, with the whole with the amendment and whatnot. And I see like the, basically like um, uh, Robert Lincoln comes in, his son comes in, and he's he's finished school and he wants to go. He wants to he wants to serve in war. He does he wants to be a man. And Lincoln doesn't want to do that, and that's kind of where that arc goes. It's like, oh, well, I'm going to do this, even though. But I think it. I think it fits though. Because and I, yeah, and I, you I, have you have um the whole stuff with with Tad, which shows Lincoln's tender side and him kind of running away from the past and his wife, and then you have like the specter of their dead son Willie, and then I think I think you need to have Robert there as that kind of that impetus for the conflict between you know Mr. and Mrs. Lincoln as they're talking about well we can't lose another child but. We can't hold him back. So I mean, I think I would I would disagree that the part is is unnecessary. I yeah I I think it's good to have a few. I mean, I don't know what you would replace it with. Exactly, but it's good to have a it, it's good to have some aspects that aren't having to do with the discussion of a bill, just to kind of break up the action a little bit. That's my problem with it, and I guess it's just inherent to how the film structure that I just didn't like because I don't know how else you'd handle something like that because obviously he is a he is a role in Lincoln's life. You have his son is there. He, and so I don't know how you avoid that and, <laughs> and just completely shut well, out. You could not, you, he could have easily not even addressed that. I mean, even the assassination is barely addressed at all. And even Lincoln's relationship with his wife, there is a whole movie just in that. And this movie doesn't even really deal with that. So he could have kind of sidestepped that. I mean, if you wanted to. That's true. And there's another thing. And I want to get to the more positive stuff I think about this movie too, but. I was not a big fan of Sally Field in this movie, mm. and I think it's because she talks like her character Mary Todd, who eventually doesn't necessarily go crazy, but she gets she's she uh, her her she mental becomes agitated. Her, yeah, her mental state isn't as like as good after after the sun's done. But like she talks about how she doesn't want to be remembered as like this person who is crazy, basically, and. I admire that, except Sally Field does nothing but give us reason for me to think that she's crazy in the movie. Well, uh, I mean, don't you think it was an honest, I mean, from, I don't, I'm not a huge Mary Todd Lincoln scholar, but from my impression, I mean, I think it, it was accurate to the kind of person she it, was. It's accurate to parts of her personality, but I don't get that. Besides, like, one scene that she has where she's confronting Tommy Lee Jones, there's not a whole lot. Which is awesome. There's not a whole lot that counters <laughs> the other side of what, of, uh, See, I, I, I would, I disagree again. I think I really thought it was, not, it was nuanced in that she was accused of being crazy and whatnot, and yet she's trying to say, listen, I wasn't crazy. I was dealing with grief, and there's a difference. I, I'll, I'll support you, Adam. I, I actually think that Sally Field's performance was, was good. I mean, I thought, I didn't think she, to me, she didn't come off as crazy. I know I'm not a scholar on her either, but I know that she is viewed as crazy by history. But I, I didn't feel like I thought that the 
part had more nuance, and I actually saw her side of it. So I actually I appreciated what Sally Field brought to the part. And I, I will mention that, um, which is kind of fascinating, Mary Todd Lincoln was actually much younger in real life than Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> but in this film, um, she's, I mean, much older. And I just thought that was kind of an interesting uh, casting choice. Been... And I know there was, there was some controversy about it originally when they were uh, casting for her because she had to really lobby for the part. Yeah. I, I think I think they made a good decision. I mean, or, or yeah, I, they, I think she's good. They cast her when they had like Liam Neeson, and he like they they, they were a better match. That's like. The... Uh, but I I I will take up for her. I I think she was. I thought she was uh, valid. Okay. I, I well, go well, out. Two things. Like, okay, I think she was fine. Um, historically, Ma- uh, Mary Todd Lincoln was that crazy. Like that's the idea is that she's just insane. <laughs> right. But in the film, it just. She's she lost Willie, she's they're over coddling Tad, and they want to make sure that their other one doesn't get killed in the war as well. So she's dealing with a lot of things, plus the stress of being the first lady. It's 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 a lot to deal with, and I think historically, with all the things that were written about her, where she was very outspoken, she wasn't she wasn't comfortable standing behind Lincoln. She wanted to be at his side. So I think in the idea of misogyny and everything around the 1860s is that they were painting her in a bad picture with everything that was written about her because she decided to speak up and because she decided to say something. And I think the idea and the legacy of Mary Todd Lincoln isn't fair to her because she had to deal with the grief of losing a child. She had to deal with trying to make sure that Lincoln goes through this tough time. She has a husband who has a nation that's torn in two and killing each other. So this idea that Mary Todd Lincoln was crazy or that she was... She wasn't crazy. She just had to deal with a grieving kid, and she had to deal with all these other things and deal with a husband who has a nation torn in two. Like, what I was trying to say earlier is that in the middle of the 18th century, you have a lot of people who were political enemies of Lincoln. What they were going to do to go after Lincoln was to make his wife seem insane. So with the election just happening, you're going to make him seem weak in whatever way you can. So what are you going to do? You're going to go after an easy target like his wife. It was just bad political dealings. As you can see from all the chamber meetings that they had and in the House of Representatives, they are cold-blooded. They are. They went for the jugular. They wanted to win because there was so much at stake for them as much as it was for Lincoln. So you're going to find any way you can take Honest Abe down a peg, and that's by going after his wife, who wasn't scared of showing emotion. She wasn't just going to be a quiet woman in the back. She was going to be a woman who lost her son, a woman who isn't scared, as you can see from that scene with her and Thaddeus Stevens in the middle of the reception. She didn't care about going after Thaddeus and telling him the way it is in front of everyone. Mrs. Lincoln. Madam President, if you please. Oh, don't convene another subcommittee to investigate me, sir. I'm teasing. Smile, Senator Wade. I believe I am smiling, Mrs. Lincoln. As long as your household accounts are in order, madam, we'll have no need to investigate the you have always taken such a lively, even prosecutorial interest in my household accounts. Your household accounts have always been so interesting. Yes, thank you. It's true. The miracles I have wrought, I have fertilizer bills and cutlery invoices, but I had to. So, I like the role a lot. I think Sally Field did great, but it was kind of oddly cast. But I, mean, I still think her- she was fantastic. For her to stand up to Thaddeus like that actually shows that she was sort of a strong woman and, you know, uh, I don't know, I, I, I thought that given her, what she was going through in her life, 
you know, many people would be stressed out and, and have a hard time. So I, I, I understood her character. I thought she, I don't know, I didn't have her problem. I, I just always love scenes where people are honest with one another that they have really strong feelings about. And I just like that. Just, I mean, in our own lives, obviously, the personal and the professional, you have to have this difference and you have to be nice and, and whatnot. But that's one reason why I think people like Western so much is because, you know, I can't go shoot the guy that's causing me trouble, but Clint Eastwood can. You know, and I always admire scenes, whether it's something like that or whether it's something like, again, Daniel Day-Lewis and Paul Dano and There Will Be Blood and just that level of honesty and not caring what other people think or what the consequences are, but just that commitment to just expressing yourself and getting it all out there. I have more I could say, but I don't want to. I don't want to move on from Sally Field. Let's <laughs> the one of the the element that I liked the most about this movie. I I feel like Kushner was almost channeling like Sorkin in the way he was writing scenes. I like the, there was a lot of there was a lot of overlapping dialogue that I I, I just really I really enjoyed how the, a lot of these scenes were coming together to have all these different people in the you know in office or whatever kind of discussing what's going on and how things are going but like in a way that was almost wrestling like in approach but has the language of old that fits the time period that they're in and i i was into this i was into that a lot i like i really liked uh, david david as um, secretary of state william seward i i enjoyed his performance i enjoyed how he was kind of grounding things for the, the rest of people that were involved in scenes especially with lincoln who's you know giving saintly monologues every now and then and he might have had the best hair too. Everything. That's a good thought. Not Lee Pace. Lee I, Pace had fantastic hair. It was so lush. But I like think Straithand looked more realistic. It looked. It, he wore it better. I guess. Lee Pace had fantastic hair. <laughs> um, no, the, the, one of the mo- things I really liked about the movie is um, his team of rivals, the the his cabinet, the people that were around him every day. They kind of didn't see Lincoln like everyone else saw Lincoln. Like in the first scene, the cold open, when it's the two black Union uh, soldiers and the two white uh, Union soldiers. I have soldiers. something to comment on that, too. Okay. Um, they kind of saw him as something like the second coming of Christ. They kind of, he is, ele- except for one black dude, but that, that's different. But like the idea that everybody kind of sees Abraham Lincoln as something more than just a president. But then you get to the moments where his cabinet just kind of don't take him seriously. Like, Abraham Lincoln starts telling a story, and the, he just leaves. He's just like, ugh, I can't do this right now. And I like that. I kind of like the um, the kind of taking him down a peg. Like, the kind of making him a person, which I think was really, really important. Go ahead, Mark. Well, Let's see. it has to do with Tony Kushner's dialogue. I think every once in a while you can see the perspective of a modern voice behind the dialogue. And that opening scene um, where the four soldiers recite the Gettysburg Address right back to him verbatim like fanboys. I mean, there's a whole book on the fact that uh, the Gettysburg Address was the speech that nobody knew for many years. And it wasn't until years and years later that people kind of like unearthed this speech and kind of like learned it. So the 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 believing that these four soldiers would be able to do such a thing at that time is pretty unbelievable. But It's a super hallmark moment. It's, it is. And when I even watching it, I'm like, oh, brother, this is kind of... Like we're in for a long movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most of the dialogue... Actually, I think the dialogue is, is, is great for the most part, but every once in a while there are certain things that kind of stuck out to me. There's also another scene, I think, where they're in the 
they're debating the bill and they say, oh, you, you, you want to uh, make slaves free. What's next? Giving women the right to vote. And I was like, oh, okay, this is, you know, this yes, is, yes, this is a, exactly what's next. Yeah. This is a humorous, uh, comment meant for a modern audience. You mentioned the opening scene involving the Gettysburg Address. Right before that is actually my favorite scene in the movie, which involves the, the two, the two black soldiers, one played by David Ayala, who is in that terrible Red Tails movie. But, um, um, the, I really like the way Lincoln's introduced into this movie because he's basically, he basically just kind of sitting somewhere and two soldiers are addressing him and the black soldiers are talking about how they're getting less paid than the white soldiers. And it involves that overlapping dialogue style, which I like, but it also, the way it paints Lincoln and how he's just kind of suddenly brought into this movie, he's, he's, he's like telling that, he's telling that the black soldiers, he's telling the one in particular, about what, about how, how, addressing the fact that they're, they're getting less pay. And what he's telling them, he's basically kind of bullshitting them in the way he's, he's talking to them and just to, just to kind of, it kind of satisfied these guys' argument and the one, the main one that's David Ayala's character, he kind of, he understands that and they have, they have this kind of shared expression on both their faces. I re- I just really like how that kind of thing is set up and that's something I like about a lot of this movie in general. Aside from some of the kind of more, not heavy handed, but more informed moments, I think there's a lot of things that go on within, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis's performance in particular that are, I like how they're framed. I like how they're put together. I like how it kind of it works in the realm of this film that doesn't make it seem like it's too much of a heavy-handed film in general or too much of a a film that feels like it's supposed to be about something. I feel like it's I don't feel like it's trying to be that as much as you would expect from a film directed by Steven Spielberg about Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, there's a great there's a great scene um well, one of the scenes that I really appreciated the most was when he uh, he gets off the carriage and is walking into the house, and he stops and has a little talk with uh, his wife's uh, servant, and it's fascinating because I mean by contemporary I mean people look back at Lincoln now and there's this tendency to base that he's pretty much you know Saint Lincoln, as far as people are concerned, and they just see him as this bastion of you know uh, racial equality and just and whatnot. Well, what I love about that scene is you know he basically talks to her and he's like, look, you know I don't really know black people. I don't really know you. And she says to him, well, okay, what are you, you know, how are you going to accept it? And he says, well, I guess I'll get used to you. And I really like that because, you know, instead of, you know, putting him up on this pedestal and whatnot, it, it takes him down a notch and it shows that, yeah, I mean, by contemporary standards, the guy was a bit of a racist. You know, he believed that, that whites were superior to other races. And I like the fact that when it would have been all too easy just to kind of keep everything going on this one note, of, you know, St. Abe, right. to, to kind of show the, the, the three-dimensionality of, of his character in a way that they didn't have to. And I love that they, they took that attention to detail. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I, I think, actually, uh, Tommy Lee Jones and his relationship with Lincoln kind of shows that a little bit, too. Because Tommy Lee Jones is kind of the modern audience. Like, blacks and whites are equal. Let's, you know, they're inherently equal. And I won't go into it, but there's a, a thing that has to do with he has to temper his opinion in order to, you know, get this bill passed. And that's really politics. Sometimes you have to kind of, well, okay, I'll, I'll concede this if, you know, we can at least get this thing passed. And that's, that was sort of an interesting discussion. Um, you know, 
That's, he tempered it in such a way as to not betray his principles. Like, right, right. He gave his Just argument. Good. I loved that. That's why. That's why Tommy Lee Jones gets my vote for best supporting actor so far. Because I think oh, Tommy Lee Jones. Is not, if he's not nominated, there's something. I think. I think he's absolutely fantastic in this movie, and people may laugh it off with Tommy Lee Jones and his wig, even though it's true to character. But he's great in this movie, and I think he's doing more than just being, you know, Tommy Lee Jones, which many people can accuse him of being in more recent films, I guess. But I think Tommy Lee Jones does a lot with this character in a fight, and it's a fiery performance that I really enjoy, and I really love that scene where he just, you know, sucks in his pride and tells the Democrats to go screw themselves. It's just awesome. I actually entrust everyone to go on to Wikipedia and look up Tommy Lee Jones' character, the guy that he's playing. He's a funny-looking guy. Yeah. I mean, he's, like, scowling in his Wikipedia picture. And he gets a lot of the... Like, the movie... One thing to know about this movie, it's not like a stuffy period drama. There's a lot of humor in this movie. It's very it's very much a Spielberg film, which means it's entertaining to watch, I would say. I don't think it's the one that I'm going to revisit all the time. But I think it's an entertaining movie to watch. I don't think it feels... It uh, I would not... I would hesitate to say it doesn't feel long, because it is long. But it doesn't feel like a movie where it's like a chore to watch this entire thing. I feel like this. And it's cool to see the the first family having to do their own, you know, stuff. I mean, he's stirring the fire himself, and then they're doing all this different stuff in this very informal look at mm. what's become a very formal institution. With, with that said, Aaron, I do think that this movie is not for everyone, and I think there are a lot of people that will walk out of this movie not enjoying it it you, you we've pretty much discussed it to the point where you, you're going to know whether you're going to enjoy this movie but it it's not a it's not an easy film to enjoy i at least i i like i said in my original discussion i i really admire it a lot but i i didn't walk out of it like oh wow you know i didn't have the feeling i walked out of skyfall like what a great you know enjoyable time at the movies it was more like that's an interesting period of history that i i got a very intelligent uh, you know, discussion of. Now, here's my here's my next question. Would you, if this was like the full the full blown biopic on Abraham Lincoln, do you think you would have preferred a movie like that? I think what we got was exactly what we needed, <laughs> like uh, a birth to death biopic. I don't I don't need to see that. I can read I'm not. That. I don't really find those interesting in general. Yeah, I don't. I'm good. Um. Like, uh, yeah. Well, like, Mark, you were saying, Skyfall was a very entertaining movie. Skyfall was a movie that was like, yeah, that was, that was a fun time. I like my popcorn and stuff like that. What Lincoln did for me was, wow, I gotta, I gotta get back on track. I gotta start making movies. Right, or made you think. It, it's a, it's a movie that makes me want to make movies. And those are becoming rarer and rarer for me. I found um, a lot more emotion in, in Lincoln than I ever did in Skyfall. Yeah, it, this one really moved me in on an emotional well, level in a much, much more than Skyfall ever did. Yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to propose that Skyfall is a deep. No, movie. no, I know. I'm, I'm, that's, I, right. I know what you're trying. I but know what you were trying I, to I say. I value, you know, I value all different types of films, and I can raise a, you know, a frivolous popcorn movie if it does its job well, um, as just as high as a movie that's attempting to, you know, explain a, a, a piece of history. So. You know, anyway, I don't know. Oh, certainly, certainly. Now, while, okay. now while, while the movie is um, focused on one period of the life, I do think it, I'm not going to say it's overstuffed necessarily, even though I already explained my issues with some of the familial stuff, uh, but I do think it goes on longer than it has to. I think there are a couple moments where, and I think this is a problem, and we can probably discuss this when we talk about Spielberg next, but I think this is a problem that Spielberg's generally had as well in this third act where 
he can't seem to find an ending. I, I, I feel like, I feel like the movie ends exactly where you figured it might have ended, as opposed to where I think was appropriate to have, have it end. You're saying it should have ended sooner? I think it should have ended sooner, but instead it, it ends where I think many people going into a movie called Lincoln expected it to would end. Would expect it. Yes. Right, right. Well, and I even, well, I don't, I guess we don't, I don't know if this, these are spoilers, so maybe I can't. Spoilers for history, Lincoln gets assassinated in the theater. Go on. What? <laughs> uh, was it the butler? <laughs> yeah. I, I was waiting for someone to walk up to Mrs. Lincoln and say, so other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how did you enjoy the play? <laughs> but, okay, so seriously. <laughs> I, I I read somewhere that said he wasn't going to deal with that. Like, he wasn't even going to talk about the assassination, that he didn't even feel like that's been done to death and we don't need to do it. And he he really he doesn't depict it in the way that we expect. But it is mentioned, and that is how it ends. So he did. I mean, I agree with you, Aaron. I think he could have just ended it sooner and and not even dealt with that. Because that's not really what the film was about. I think there's well, you just, a... I you, think ended, you ended with him walking down the hall, going out to the carriage. I mean, that's that's one place it could have been. But I think there's one end... I think there's a there's an ending shot there. or There's a shot on a particular character towards the end. With Sally Field or... No, with another character that mm-hmm. I think would have... The get, butler. Not, I, think there's, I think there's another... Another main character in the movie who has a shot in the film after something happens that I think the movie could have ended on instead, which seems more. Oh no, 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 no! I know what you're going for, and I, I got to completely disagree. <laughs> I, 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 out so, of work. It might have been way too much, but <laughs> there, there, are, there are several moments in this movie where I figured the credits could have come up. That's... So it has a little bit of a Return of the King problem, you're saying? I, well, I don't find that a problem because that movie needs to have a story closure, not just like end because you want it to. But I, <laughs> the whole Lord of the Rings debate we can get into. But uh, I, I, I feel like it does go on longer than it has to. Yes. Yeah, I can. Uh, I think the speech at the end, like, like there's a bookend, and I don't think that. Yeah, I don't think that needed to be there, but that's fine. Well, because it's less dramatic or less depressing than where it could have ended, I guess. If you could, if you go. If you go one scene short of that, then yeah. <laughs> I don't care. Him to the ages is a pretty great ending, a pretty great closing line. I do like how it's addressed. I do like how it, the movie itself picks up after the Gettysburg Address. Like, it could have been incredibly something if you, you know, start on him giving that speech, which I think also could have been something that was assumed by people in this movie. But I do like how things are handled from a, a different perspective than ways they could have been, which is something that, like, uh, like a show like Rome on HBO did. Like, there's... When that, when that, when that, just to call back to Rome, when that series talks about um, Caesar's death and the speech that was given uh, by Bruce, like it, it, it does, it, it handles it in a way that I thought was very clever. Same thing with like Mad Men, the way it handles like the JFK assassination. Like there's things, there's ways to approach these kind of things that I, I, I admire, and I think Lincoln does that to an extent. Like honestly, the writing and the structure of the film is pretty well good for me like i haven't seen a film this well written since hitch (laughs) (laughs) yeah i like how we haven't talked about the technical aspects of this movie just because i think we can agree that they're probably amazing i think yeah you know what one thing i i I love is that i i think maybe daniel lewis already sort of suggests lincoln to begin with but i love that the makeup is not even it's invisible you you just here he is and you never question the the makeup Euclid's first common notion is this. Things which are equal to the same thing are equal to each other. That's a rule of mathematical reasoning. It's true because it works. 
has done and always will do. In his book, Euclid says this is self-evident. You see, there it is. Even in that 2,000-year-old book of mechanical law, it is a self-evident truth that things which are equal to the same thing are equal to each other. You forget a lot, in a large part that it's Daniel Day-Lewis. And, I mean, with, it's so hard to do that anymore with actors. You, you see the actor, and it's like, well, no, I'm just... There's a couple shots where he kind of holds his head a certain way, and you're like, oh, okay, I can see... Daniel Day-Lewis there, but for the most part, it's just like, yeah, this is Lincoln. Here we go. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I never had I never, I, I never saw Daniel Day-Lewis. I saw Abraham Lincoln. They exhumed him from his grave and put in, and reanimated him and put him in the film. That's how I felt. Would you, would you say that Daniel Day-Lewis was perhaps more Lincoln than Lincoln? <laughs> I would, actually. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, because America character um, makeup, car- uh, costume designs. I mean, Yanis, yeah, Yanis, that's all great. Yanis Kaminsky's cinematography, very white at times. There's a lot of open window shots in this movie, but I mean, yeah, it, it's a good looking movie. There's a shot of in the beginning that it's like the only. Well, there's one other scene that involves some of the carnage of war, but there's a shot in the beginning of this movie that involves the Civil War, and just the way that's portrayed in a PG-13 movie, it's like, well, I don't need to see another Civil War epic, but Jesus, Lincoln or Spielberg does it a shoot a scene like that because it's, it's pretty yeah. that's the that's a little bit of saving private ryan influence in exactly that. yeah i mean john williams score not like crazy present in this movie I, or at least i wasn't like eh, that's what that score sounds like but like it's there and it's like effective enough <laughs> it's, there. it's there i mean it's, it's no war horse right I, I would say. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but uh yeah i mean yeah the movie from, from a technical perspective yeah like spielberg's direction in this movie i think is solid oh yeah any other thoughts on Lincoln? I know I don't want to rush it, but I know Mark Oman has to leave soon, so I want to get I want to at least involve him in some of our our Spielberg discussion in general. I think we can move on. Okay, so let's get to our rating. Each week on Out Now of Aaron and Abe, we try to rate films based on when you should go and see them. This reminds me, I'm really upset that I wasn't able to talk about Abe Lincoln with Abe present, but whatever. Um, <laughs> our rating, yeah. our rating scale goes from IMAX to theater to dollar theater, Netflix, HBO, TV, or just kind of forget about it. Start how we started. Adam Gentry, how would you put it on that scale? I'd go with theater. I would say theater as well. Mark? Dollar theater. Alan? Yeah, uh, theater. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> dollar theater, really? Yeah. So good. Watch it on a big screen with all the awesome... At least look at the Janusz Kaminski cinematography. It's beautiful. Well, that's why you said dollar theater, not HBO. So you're still seeing it on a theater. Yeah. I, I, I actually, love this. I actually I, like this. I'll say one thing. I like the cinematography actually in the master more, and I dislike. Wow. The, and I she dislike the master. This. I actually dislike that film. Yeah, I don't like the master either, and I, I agree. Kudos. All right, so let's uh, let's move on then. Let's move on to our. Well, let's see. Let's get. So let's do a little. Um, let's do box office before we get to Spielberg really quick. Let's get out of the way. Um. We tried to predict last week what we thought Twilight would do because Twilight came out and it made a ton of money. So, uh, we all went way over actually. Scott Mendelson said 160, Brandon Peters said 146, Abe said 159, I said 170. Scott Twilight came in number one, 141, a lot of money. Lot of who pay. said 146? Um, who said 146? They're pretty close. Abe said 146. Brandon, Brandon Peters said 146. So, 
So yeah, 21 came in 141. Skyfall, second place, 41 million. Lincoln actually came in third place of 21 million, which is fairly high for a, yes. for the ski. Yes, I, I did not think it was going to be third. Right. I thought, but it's got a pretty limited. I mean, you know, for that type of film, pretty limited. Yeah, yeah I kind of thought Wreck-It Ralph and Flights still might have beaten it. It's but. in it's in half the theaters as a uh, Twilight and Skyfall, and it's still yeah, it did very good numbers for a series for you know a two and a half hour serious. Uh, Steven Spielberg film, so there you go. People wanted. I it. went into the twelve the noon showing on a Friday, and it was packed. Huh? Yeah, and you know I, I walked uh, in, I was like, whoa. I was telling oh. a lot of people about oh, I saw Lincoln, and they're all excited about seeing the movie. Like, there's certainly an people audience, want to see it. There's, there's an audience out there for people to see Lincoln, and I think that makes sense. I mean, people want to rush out to see the King's speech involving not American history. And I'm sorry, I'm speaking for America in general, but I mean, then why would they not want to see a movie about one of the founding fathers or whatever you want to call? It? It's not a founding, uh, father, I guess. Really, not quick. a founding father. No, he's not a founding father. But one of the, you know, one of the pivotal figures the in American history. The bastards of American life. Yeah. So really quick, Steven Spielberg's Lincoln is like a Tyler Perry movie for white people. <laughs> it's just crazy. There's so many, like, old white people there. I was the youngest dude by, like, 20 years. <laughs> I got to share my popcorn. It was crazy. Anyway. The, the crowd that I saw it with, they applauded after it was over. So mm-hmm. I could tell the... And it was an older crowd. It was definitely people. I mean, I saw it the first day, so it was a crowd that was primed to see it. But they loved it. So I, I don't, but to be fair, I mean, I don't think this is the kind of movie that people applaud for anyway. I don't know if it's good or not. I think it's the kind of movie there for when like you walk out, you're like, oh, Lincoln ended, guys. I, I, that's it. I hate applause in movies. So. Yeah, I, 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 I don't. I don't think I ever. I mean, I didn't feel the need to applaud. But yeah, I I despise applause in movies unless like I'm at a film festival and like they're there. Like, right, because the, the filmmakers are not there. Yeah, and so like who I, I applaud after really shitty movies. <laughs> I applaud after Battleship. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna sl- I'm gonna slow me. clap at the end of Twilight. I will. I'm gonna stand up. <laughs> slow, you well did. played. You did it, guys. You did it. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> we did it, guys. All right, so um. We're going to forego some of the segments this week and instead talk about Spielberg's career, his kind of, this kind of chapter in his career, this kind of post-2000, basically after Saving Private Ryan. And I think it's arguable what what constitutes this kind of act in his career, but I think this is an appropriate place where you're going post-2000, which consists of AI onwards. And um, so, yeah, I just wanted to kind of, all of us can kind of chime in on our thoughts. I'm just going to go film by film and what we kind of think about each one. I know Mark Hoban has to leave soon, so I want to, you know, try and get him involved as much as I can before he has to. But um, let's just start this off, okay? So, uh, 1998, the same Private Ryan came out. Spielberg won a Best Directing Award. That's great for him. 2000, yeah, 2001. This kicked off what I don't know how. I mean, Saving Private Ryan's not exactly a light film, but this is kind of a there's some dark things going on and. And we're going to kick that off with AI, artificial intelligence. This is the film that, and I just rewatched this film. I did what if something I really forgot. Steven Spielberg's the, the only credited screenwriter in this movie. It's based off a story. It's based off a book and a story developed by Stanley Kubrick and some of his collaborators. But this, he has a screenplay credit on this film, which I did not remember at all. And it of course stars Haley Joel Osment as a mecha, as a robot boy, cyborg, I guess we're going with. And, um, I think we're familiar enough with AI. I don't need to go over a plot summary, but what what are you guys' thoughts on AI? Who wants to start? One of my favorite movies in general, like ever. I love that movie. Ditto. Total, total ditto. I absolutely adore that movie. I, for me, it was just okay. I, I think it had serious issues with it. So 
I mean, I, I there were parts that I enjoyed, but it, I, I think it was also a disappointment. Now, Mark, this is I agree with you to an extent because while it's not a, it's, I've I've only seen this movie twice in full. I saw it theatrically and I saw it last, yesterday when I watched it again for the first time and. I feel like, and this is why I'm happy to have people that love the movie on, because I have something to talk about. I, I feel like there's a lot, there's enough there for me to certainly think it's a good movie. I think in terms of just kind of what it's putting out there, some of the performances involved, some of the, you know, effects, the look of the film, the, even the topics it's being handled. I think there's a lot to admire about it, but I, I, I don't know what it is that makes me like question the movies, like how good it actually is. I, the, the, why do you why do you love this movie so much? And either either of you. Do you want me to get like incredibly personal and tell you why I love the movie? <laughs> like Without... I can't, like I think the movie by itself is good, but then my mom died in April two thousand one. Okay. I saw this movie in June two thousand one. So the idea of him wanting to be closer to his mother, and the idea of him just wanting to be a real boy to get that love of his mother, and then it's like, and then you go through the film and. He's just looking for that emotional connection and that emotional attachment. Yeah, that didn't like ring to me at all. Yeah. The film just rang to me on a very personal and deep level. Plus, I was very into Kubrick at the time and to see something so, like, as close to a Kubrick film as we're gonna get, like, in the modern time, was just great for me. Uh, the idea that this thing which just wanted to be more than it, it was, it just wanted to, it's, it's, it speaks on a lot of fundamental different levels. Like the idea that you are, it's like a caste system. You are born into this, but you want to ascend to the next level and be loved and be in a real boy and just kind of going through the motion. Like all the science fiction-y stuff, it's, it's, it's great and it's cool, but the idea behind the story is, Alan? is what really rings to me. Yeah. Alan, I have a movie yeah. for you. Um, in 1940, Disney released a movie called Pinocchio. I would check it out. You know what? I'm not a big fan. <laughs> I, I'm but that's, with you. I mean, I, I'll be frank. I, I find Pinocchio, Pinocchio. I find Pinocchio terrifying. Even now, I like. I the can't watch scene. that movie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it is a terrifying movie. But like, it's, I, it's, it's too much for me. Like, I, I no. Good. Well, no, no, no. See, I know what you're saying, but the, the the story is based on Pinocchio, and I understand that he finds the blue fairy at the end of it. I get it. I just think the sensibility of Spielberg directing it rings true and rings to me more so than the Disney film in 1940. Um, because it's one of my favorite films. It's like there, there are certain problems with it. I think it, uh, it, it just like any other Spielberg movie recently, it, it doesn't end soon enough. Yeah. Uh, if, it, I'm, if I may, I yes. think it's actually one of the, the best part is arguably the best aspect of the film because it's a wonderful, Looky Lou. I mean, he tricks you into thinking that he's giving you a happy ending when, in the, and, 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 you know, in reality, it's anything but. It's it's one of the more depressing endings in the entire Spielberg filmography. You know, he tricks you into thinking it's this totally you know happy thing, and he sees his yeah. mom, and everything's great. It's not at all. I mean, they're euthanizing this robot, and they scan his brain and find out what will make him happy, create this elaborate fiction that's a genetic, you know, if not psycho, you know. The psychological impossibility to recreate somebody from a strand of DNA, and they give him the last thing he wants, and then they euthanize him. So I mean, I think if you think that's a happy ending, I mean, it's like ah. Well, I mean, for the ah, character, for the character, it is happy. I mean, where else is he going to go? Is he just going to exist, not having his mother in the reality of advanced civilization, where he has no one to relate to at all? 
Like, well, it's it's a happy ending for him per se, but it's based on a lie. It's not true at all. And I think I just I love that about the film, and that you get this if you watch it and just you know you just kind of I think a lot of viewers saw it thought oh this is a happy ending oh curse you Spielberg it should have ended with him staring at the fairy, but I think in reality to go the route that they went um, was was much more effective. But I'll say this when I having rewatched it now I will say that I don't have as much of an issue with the fact that it doesn't end on the blue fairy because I just have kind of issues with the Manhattan thing in general, but the. I, I, it does, yeah, it, it, I see what you're saying, but I still, I don't necessarily think it ends on a down note just because of what's implied by what's actually going on at the ending. I think for, as far as the character goes, it ends up happily for him. I don't know what the alternative is that makes it a, makes it a hat, makes it a not hat. <laughs> I, I just, again, I, I think it's just tremendously sad that basically, you know, he's, he's, he, he doesn't realize that he is, you know, his his dream is impossible. He doesn't realize that it's being someone's choosing for him. That okay, we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna stop. It's essentially like a no win scenario. I mean, even if he didn't get that, even if he didn't get this lie constructed for him, and just nothing happens, that just means he again exists in this world now and never has a chance at all to see his mother. Like there's well, I mean, if, if no... you don't, if you don't, if you take out the Manhattan section, then yeah, you just end it, you know, at, at the Blue Ferry. And if, if you're going to go that route, then you just take that out entirely. No, I mean, if he, if the, uh, you're still ending, okay, if you're still ending in the in the two thousand years in the future segment, and there, you know, Teddy doesn't have the hair, so he just never gets any kind of wish granted. That's the uh, what there's. I'm saying there's no like that. That I think we need to have a separate AI <laughs> podcast. Yeah, this is pretty deep. You have like let's a bring, commentary. Let's bring Jordan on, on this one. I know Jordan. a big fan. Mm-hmm. Aaron, I kind of have to. I mean, like, yeah. But, uh, All right. Well, let's say let's get goodbye to Mark Oven then. <laughs> uh, Mark, where can more people find your work? Uh, you can find more of my work on my personal blog at fastfilmreviews.wordpress.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Mark underscore Hoban. Okay. Thanks, Mark, for coming on today. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. I Actually, I would have – gosh, we could have done a whole podcast just on the late career of Steven Spielberg. Well, you'll join us for our special episode on just always starring Richard Dreyfuss. We'll talk about that movie. And, okay. And maybe- oh, I – I saw it like three times at the theater, and I never do that. And I don't think I don't. I have a feeling people are not going to take up for that, so I just want to put that out there. Nope, we're not. So there you go. I'm not anyway. But okay. I loved it. See you, buddy. All right. All right. Bye, Mark. Dark future stories, whether it's Blade Runner or the um, even recently the the Sony 451 section in Cloud Atlas. I mean, I love that dark future thing. I love the look of this movie, the way it's kind of washed out with like the blues and the grays. That's really cool and. And again, another movie that you could, uh, ironically enough, like it gets credit for this happy ending, but I think like, there's a whole faction of people that think that it actually, um, he never actually escapes the prison. And it's another complete downer of an ending where someone thinks that they've achieved something that they actually haven't. See, but, I mean, I, I really like that movie. I think, see, I think that's more of like what people want when they, when they see that movie, but I don't think there's anything to suggest the idea that that, that, but it's extremely subliminal. It's it's a stretch, yes, for sure. But I think you can make the argument. I mean, well, I mean, it even has like ending narration in the movie. Like it, it just it, it provides too much to you. It it feels just more like a fan wish that it did end there. Certainly, something that I I mean, I if they structured it better, I would like I'd like to believe in that ending as well. But I just don't think that exists. <laughs> but uh, I mean, fair enough to anyone that does think. I mean, it's just, but 
Yeah, but Minority Report, I yeah, I, I, I revisit it a lot, actually. Minority Report is a movie I watch quite a bit, and I really enjoy it. I think it does just everything that Spielberg's... I think, yeah, I... Well, I'm not as big of a fan as AI. I do think it's Spielberg continuing to fire on all cylinders. I think he's in this movie as well. Like, I think he's just... He's directing the hell out of these movies, and I think it's very apparent that it feels like a very directed movie. And it has all the sensibilities of both kind of a serious Spielberg movie and the more popcorn blockbuster action movie. Like it, I love this dark future thing that kick that he was on just for you know for a little while. It's it's, it's I wish he would go back and do more like that. And it looks great. like Anders Gavinsky's cinematography in this movie, it's dirty. It's a really dirty movie to watch. Like you can like it, it in terms of just kind of how it's even though you have like this very fancy, not like fancy, but like really like elaborately designed future in terms of the special effects and whatnot to bring it to life, the way it's filmed has this really sort of intense look about it, where you're like Jesus, this is, <laughs> it it's very noticeable, I guess I'm saying. But yeah, the movie itself, like I think, I think Tom Cruise is very good in this movie. I, I don't think he gets, oh, yeah. I don't think he gets enough credit for how good he is as an actor in this movie. And I really like the supporting cast. You have Max von Sydow here. You have Colin Farrell in a early one of his supporting roles when he was first breaking out as an actor. I mean, there's there's a lot of good things. Uh, what's Samantha Morton? Samantha Morton. Yeah, Samantha Morton's mm, quite good. In this so movie. good. And just the way the story unfolds and how you learn everything and how it's how it's like structured as like an action movie, but it has so much more going on within it. I think. And the technology is so cool too. I mean, the way they. You know, they, they're not using guns, they're using six sticks. Yeah. And these spider things that go scan. And people are just used to this, these incursions into their lives and their privacy. And it's just, it's really cool the way that, or the, or the, the little things that he, like, he twirls and then he, you know, shoots. Yeah, the gravity thing or yeah. whatever. The, yeah. It's just really creative. And it's, you know, it, it's not what you might expect, which and, I like. And there are jetpacks, guys. There are jetpacks in this movie. That's true. But yeah, I. I don't tend to rank my Spielberg films very often, but I, I do put I do hold my minority report quite high in the in his canon. Mm-hmm. All right, um, let's see the next movie that he directed in the same year as Minority Report, which came out in two thousand two. He also did Catch Me If You Can, which came out in on Christmas, I believe, in two thousand two. And this is the film that stars Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks. Leonardo, Cap- Leonardo DiCaprio plays a con man, Frank Abagnale, Abagnale. And um, <laughs> he, he, he um, due to parental issues, he basically goes on the run and kind of makes money on his own, doing things his own way. And Tom Hanks is an FBI 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 agent on his tail, trying to catch him. Uh, what are our thoughts on this movie, Alan? I liked it, um, not as much as uh, Minority Report or um, AI. AI or anything. And even this year, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio did uh, Gangs of New York. And they came out like within a week of each other. Well, he did. He did Gangs of New York last year, and then that movie got delayed like an entire year. So yeah, the same week. Yes. Yeah. So for me, I think this movie was kind of overshadowed with the timing, because I think everybody was still on the Minority Report high, and everybody was still talking about Leo, but not in Catch Me If You Can in Gangs of New York. And then you watch Catch Me If You Can. Like I watched it a couple years back. Um, I was a big fan of it. I liked it. I think it's a really nuanced performance by Leo, and I think it's a good performance by Tom Hanks, and I kind of like the story, and shocker, it's about a father figure not being there for for the for the main person. It's just, you know... Um, it was a good movie. I liked it. It doesn't really give me as much to talk about as the other films, though. Adam? I absolutely love it. Um, Chris Walken is great in this movie. Yes. Which is one thing that, you know, it can be a little tough with Chris Walken movies just because a lot of times he's kind of playing himself. 
or is sort of just playing up the walk-in persona. Um, whereas this one, he really is this three-dimensional character. Two little mice fell in a bucket of cream. The first mouse quickly gave up and drowned. The second mouse wouldn't quit. He struggled so hard that eventually he turned that cream into butter and crawled out. Gentlemen, as of this moment, I am that second mouse. <laughs> I absolutely love it. I love the way that it's structured. I love the way that DiCaprio is sort of flying by the seat of his pants the entire movie and just lucky into these amazing situations. And just which, because... Which are all based on true events. Absolutely. And the fact that, you know, basically he's just being a, he's just a great bull. People don't question you when you have that kind of confidence. Or at least they didn't with the kind of airport security and various things that he could kind of pull off in his time. Um, Tom Hanks is great in the movie. I love the camaraderie between the two of them. Um... But I, I absolutely love the movie. I think it's it's fantastic. And not only that, too, but to go with the whole gang's catch-me-if-you-can thing, it's too bad that Leo's work in this one was overshadowed by gang's, because I think he gives a far better performance in this film you, than he does in gang's. Where in gang's, he's he's terribly <laughs> overshadowed by one Daniel Day-Lewis, and I just don't think he really brings much to that part. Where this part, I mean, you just you feel it. And just when he's when he's down, you feel down. When he's elated, you feel elated. It's just it's. I love this movie. I could go on. You say he's overshadowed, but Leonardo DiCaprio he was he was nominated for that not Oscar. He was nominated for Golden Globe for um, Catch Me If You Can, not Gangs in New York. Like yeah, I think he, I feel like he got a lot of recognition for this part, which I think is a more complicated part than. Well, that's right. I, maybe I didn't. I must not have remembered that. That's that's awesome then. He he, he got a lot of he got. I think awards the, wise, he got he got recognition for. Being at the time, I think people were kind of looking to him more as, as being, you know, in, in the big Scorsese, big budget, epic uh, film. <laughs> now, I, I might not remember that correctly, and that's certainly possible, but that's kind of what I was thinking. I yeah, I really enjoy Catch Me If You Can. I, I like it because it's 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 less throwaway than the next film that we're going to talk about, Spielberg's Canon. But it it um, it's more of like a movie that he did, he just kind of happened Spielberg kind of happened into like he wasn't intending on doing the film and then just kind of like things worked out where he's like all right I'll do it and they did and like it's not it's certainly not a lesser work but I feel like it it's not one that he necessarily needed to like really pull out the stops to direct but he still kind of does I think it's a really well made film I love um just kind of there it has this great kind of cat and mouse feel to it and I think it's a lot of fun to watch even though it gets to kind of emotional heavy areas at times which speaks to why I really love Christopher Walken's performance in this movie, and even just kind of the lingering thought of him after he's not in this movie any longer, and what that means to Leonardo DiCaprio's character, especially after a certain announcement involving Christopher Walken's character that like always kind of broke me up because I'm like, oh, that's terrible because you never got to say goodbye. The the um just the the overall kind of structure of this movie I really enjoy. I think it's a lot of a lot of fun, and um, the 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 opening, the op- the opening of this film. I love the opening credits of this movie and John John Williams' score for Catch Me If You Can. Just putting that out there as well. Any other thoughts on Catch Me If You Can before I move on? Nope. Okay, moving on then to the Terminal. This is a 2004 film starring Tom Hanks and Captain Zeta Jones. Tom Hanks plays an immigrant from a fictional country who 
is basically kind of trapped in an airport terminal based on the fact that his, his country's at war, I believe, right? Yes. His country's, like, at war, and at the same time, he doesn't have the right... It's sort of like, it's sort of like a civil war, and then it kind of dissolves, and so he's kind of the man without a country. Yeah, basically, due to, like, a legal, like, a an international legal loophole, he's kind of stuck living in an airport terminal. So, that's it. I, Adam, I want you to start with Terminal. Uh, the Terminal is one of my all-time favorite films. I absolutely adore the terminal. It's one of the single best times I ever had in a movie theater ever. I remember sitting there watching the the struggles of this little hapless guy who just, you know, was trying to be honest and just do what he thought was right. And I just, the entire crowd, we were just united behind him. I thought, I think Tom Hanks' performance is, it's, I, it's one of my favorite Hanks' performances. He it just embodies this guy, and the accent is fantastic. And I really feel bad that the um, the set design—I don't think the set, the production design—was even nominated for an Academy Award, and it should have won because they they this that whole airport. I mean, that's a set; it's not a location shoot at all. Um, I think it's fantastic. I love the little romance between uh, Zeta Jones and Tom Hanks. I wish it ended better. I love that. Um, I love the the little um, the Indian. Uh, janitor, I can't remember his name unfortunately, but I, I love him. I love this climactic moment that he has. Uh, John Kaminsky's photography is, is lovely. I love the resolution of the film, and when you kind of find out what the central mystery is to this point of why he's doing what he's doing, I, I absolutely love the term. Alan, oh, it's it's fine. Um, I saw this. I don't know, like. It's not as good as Catch Me If You Can or Minority Report or AI, but it just seemed like a fun movie that him and Tom Hanks did on a weekend. You know what I mean? Like, it's cute, and it's very Spielbergian, but it didn't seem like the best use of his talents. That's, that's about it. Okay. <laughs> I I um, I like The Terminal. I, I think it's fine as well. I, 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 think it's, I think it's elevated by the fact that it has... Uh, Tom Hanks giving a strong performance in it. And I do like the, I like the, a lot of the supporting characters from whatever. I've seen the terminal twice, I think, and not very recently. And, um, I, I like the goings ons that's being portrayed in the, in kind of in the terminal. And with just the random little smaller characters, like I, I believe like Diego Luna has like a part is like one of like the, uh, like a luggage yeah. guy. And like he has a little thing going with, uh, with Zoe, 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 early Zoe Saldana role, like her character. And, just little things like that. I like the little kind of tiny relationships happening in this movie, and I like how things come together. And, and Stanley Tucci, the, you know, the movie's got the Tucci, so always a plus right there. It, he's kind of like the villain character, and I, 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 I like when he pops up and plays roles. And yeah, overall, like it's a, it's like it, it has this nice feel-good quality to it that I enjoy. I, Trying to think of where Spielberg was, and he did. He was kind of well. His next film gets a lot heavier, so. But it's, you know, I, I like the film. I don't love the film, but I think it. I think it's. I think it's solid. I think it's a, a fine watch. I don't. I don't think it. I think there was some, kind of, backlash towards it at the time, just because it was like I guess too cutesy, which some people would be saying, which I wouldn't say so. I, I don't. I don't agree with that that aspect necessarily, but I do think it kind of. It just it's it, a very it's a very different vein for Spielberg, at least at the time. And it, it, yeah, certainly coming off of what he's been doing for the past you know couple of years and what he will be doing, like I think it um he hadn't done anything that friendly in quite a while. 
Not since the uh, the Lost World Jurassic Park, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> or Shutter's List. Or Amistad. Um, moving on um, from the terminal, we're going to go to War of the Worlds. This is the 2005 effort that again starred Tom Cruise, and it's of course about the War of the Worlds aliens who were already here. I don't want to argue this logic too long. <laughs> They're already here. Um, or, uh, get activated and start, you know, just destroying the out of Earth. <laughs> so, um, what I remember about this movie, be, regardless of seeing it, be, uh, it just kind of like, it seemed like Tom Cruise and Spielberg, like, I remember like the, it being announced, like Tom Cruise and Spielberg just like, hey guys, we got this going. Like, they just like suddenly, like, the ball got rolling and they just started making it. And I remember it got shot like super fast and then was out. It came out in, like, June, like, after, like, a year of them talking about it. Same with uh, Munich, which we'll talk about next, of how quickly that production schedule went. But, um, thoughts on War of the Worlds, Alan? For some reason, I think this movie gets a really bad rap. Mob Hollywood was always going out with Tom Cruise in the, in the tabloids, but I think, I think it was fine. I liked it. I thought there were really cool moments in the film. Hello? Yeah. Okay, sorry, I thought it cut off on me again. Yeah, no, there were some good action sequences, the um the initial invasion and I just thought it was I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought it was a really fun popcorn movie. Oh. Um, I kind of have some mixed feelings on this one. I mean it's the first act I think is awesome. The first act is fantastic with the sort of the invasion and it's kind of a departure for the Tom Cruise role of be kind of being not a deadbeat dad, but not the most not the best father. I mean, there's a, when everything starts to go to hell, it's pretty fantastic. The way it's photographed and, and the, the tripods kind of rising up and destroying things. And, and I loved uh, a line of dialogue that the, uh, Dakota Fanning has where she asks her dad if it's the terrorists. At that time in history, I mean, it was an extremely poignant moment because that's exactly the kind of thing that anybody would, would ask, that kind of question. Um, that said, I mean, there's a bit where where he ends up in, in in hiding with Tim Robbins. Yep. That's kind of a different movie. It's cool, but it's it's not the same movie. And then when we get to the end and we find out, and I know it's true to the original ending, I hate the ending. It's just so lame compared to what's come before. Um, and so it's kind of one of those things where I think it really was a very timely film and it played into a lot of emotions and attitudes that people... We're trying to work their way through after 9-11. And I think it could have been a, you know, a, a better film than it was. I agree with you that it could have been a better film than it was. I think uh, War of the Worlds, it's a movie that has a really strong first half. And then it gets to Tim Robbins' place and the movie's dovetails very quickly for me. I think the opening of this movie is fantastic. I love the way it's set up. <laughs> it has, is it Morgan Freeman narration at the beginning and ending of this movie? Is that how they roll? Of course. And, um, I just, yeah, I really, I really like Tom Cruise's character, like how he develops in this movie and like, in this first half and like the code and like how, where he stands with his family. And then even just kind of the initial, we got to get the hell out of town here where like he's the only one with a car and he's driving away and all this crazy stuff's happening. There's some great action stuff. I mean, that's not surprising. It's the, the, the burning, the burning train. That is burn, all. The burn, <laughs> burning trains. That was cool. This, there's a shot of a tripod that's in the water, like coming out of the water against a ferry. That's just amazing. Or it's just shots of tripods like on the hilltops 
chasing people down. It's just this classic image. It's just, there's so much great visual poetry going on in an alien invasion for this movie that like works for me. And there's like a sequence of what, what, like, or like a plane crashes on the outside while Tom Cruise and his kids are, you know, stuck on the inside of a house. You don't see it. You just hear everything that's happening. And it's just, there's stuff like that that's really well done. And I like those things. And then you get to Tim Robbins' place, and the movie just, it just turns different for me. And it's just, I don't understand the logic going on. Like, these aliens seem Why, why are we here? We're here forever, it seems. It's like a good 30 minutes inside this one place. And, it, and like, for whatever reason, the, there's, the aliens really want to find what's going on in this one house. Because they go there once, they leave, then they come back again. Like, I don't, and it's like a whole riff on the whole Jurassic Park scene, which has done so much better, where the raptors are inside the kitchen. You have the aliens kind of sneaking, like, them trying to sneak around past the aliens inside that house. Let alone Tim Robbins, who's, like, wildly overacting in this movie. Uh, it's just all that stuff happens. And then you get past that, and it's like, it's going along, and it does its thing. It's just not that interesting. I'm just so, like, so dissuaded by the movie after that scene that I'm just kind of not in the care about what's going on later, where, you know, they get taken up, and the aliens, and Tom Cruise. It is pretty great, though, that moment when he leaves the house for the first time and sees this completely changed landscape. That's a pretty cool moment. Oh, yeah, so, from a visual standpoint, sure, this movie is fantastic, yeah. And there are even, you know, things going on within it that I still like. I just don't like the movie anymore at that point where I'm admiring certain aspects of it, but I can't get into it no longer. And then you get to the ending. I don't know how... Germs. Freaking germs. Even the germs, that doesn't bother me. It's more of how long do we want to stretch this out of how was a character able to live a certain situation? I don't understand. Well, you look at it too and you think about, well, you know, these beings were here for how long and the germs didn't bother them then. Yeah, the logic of them being here the entire time, I... And then there's that weird, like, those little energy pulse things, and I'm not sure if those are, like, if they're, like, shooting, like, aliens down into the craft with some kind of high-energy thing, or, or, or what that is. The movie, it doesn't try to explain things, which I admire. I admire that it's told entirely from the perspective of Tom Cruise's character, where not, we don't have the scene of, like, you know, the scientists all <laughs> explaining yeah. every single aspect of what's going on. But at the same time, yeah, there are some, like, logic things where I'm like, well, why did this happen? Where it bothered me more than it would in something like, like, like Cloverfield, for example. It did bother me that I didn't learn too much about certain things that are happening. Yeah. Alan, any thoughts? No. Well, no. I, like, you kind of have to have the ending because that's the ending for the book. So I, uh, yeah, there's a lot of logic question, but it's, it's a fun movie. Like, the Tim Robbins part, Lane, that was a good time for me to go to the restroom and get snacks, but, I don't know, I, just, I don't, I don't, I'm not whole, I, I don't know, I know everybody kind of just berates this movie, I just, I don't understand why, it's just, like, if it's not that good, then just, just let it go and move on. I try to, but it comes back. No, no, I don't know, <laughs> back then, it just, it upset me back then that people kept making fun of it, I'm like, okay. And people ended up criticizing Munich, who came out in the same year, which is the next one we're going to talk about, because of how they didn't like War of the Worlds. And I just, it just seems silly to me. So, I can't. Okay. Yeah. so we can get to Munich now. And I think, Yay. now, um, you, Adam, you mentioned the line that Dakota Fanning has about the terrorists, and it almost hints at Munich, which is Spielberg's angry movie. This is like, this is the movie where he's just, he's taking, he's taking, it feels like he's, He's very emotionally invested in telling this story. It feels very apparent that way, and I feel like this is the movie where he's getting stuff out. He's working out some issues in this movie, and he's just on a on a, on another level on his on his Jew level. 
Spielberg's Jewish? <laughs> and and um, I think he's probably cursing on set a lot too, right? But um, I, I, I'm just going to start off. Munich is the film that came out later in the same year as World of Wars 2005. It stars Eric Bana leading up a team of of uh, I guess Jewish assassins because they're going to take out people that were the original and glorious bastards. The original and glorious bastards, <laughs> or, or the second set. It's kind of after that day. The um, but he, basically after the Munich Olympics, where where Jews were taken hostage and killed, uh, basically uh, Eric Band is leading up a team of people that are going to kill the people that were involved in the the, the acts of Munich, and. Um, I'll just say it right now. I love Munich. Munich is a movie that I really enjoy, and I've watched it more times than I think I, than I feel that seemed necessary to watch Munich. But I, I really enjoy Munich. I really love it's it the way it's directed, the way it's handled. I love Eric Bana's performance in this movie. Jeffrey, Rudd, there's a lot of people in this movie. Daniel Craig in an early role. Like I, I really like Munich in general. But uh, Alan, what do you think of Munich? I love Munich. Um, so good. It was it was my favorite movie that came out that year, over Batman Begins. Um. I absolutely adored this movie. I thought it was topical. I thought that the direction was very um, mature. I thought it was one of Spielberg's most mature films he's ever done. And it was very personal. And you could, more so than anything, really more so than Close Encounters, I think that this movie kind of said a lot about Spielberg. And he is, like Aaron was saying, he clearly is working out issues. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff going on in here that's that seemed really personal for Spielberg. And I just... I appreciate this film. I respect this film. I think it's very sophisticated, and it's probably one of my favorite Spielberg movies. Um, I think it's the best movie that he's done that decade, or that he did that decade. I really, really like Munich. More than AI? I think it's his, yeah. AI holds to me a special nostalgic feeling, and I oh, love it. All right. Uh, but I think Munich is his best film. You know what I mean? Yeah. You kind of see the differences that I have. Um like, I watch AI more, but I think Munich... I'll, I'll defend Munich to anybody. I love that movie. Adam? Munich is a masterpiece. I mean, just... There's really no other word for it. I mean, I really can't... I agree with everything you guys said pretty much at this point. I mean, I love... The topicality was... Was fascinating, too, because... You know, Tony Kushner is a big you know, supporter of... of uh, the Palestinian side of things. And obviously... Um, you know, Steven Spielberg is, um, I, I don't know if you'd go so far as to call him, I, th I think Zionist would be a fairly, uh, you know, I think he, I don't think he would disapprove of the use of that label. Um, and I love the way that the, it, the film, it doesn't come down on one side or the other side. I mean, it looks at the, obviously the Black September, um, abductions and then, and, and whatnot. And obviously that's terrible. And I, the film doesn't pull any punches on that front. But it also, goes and then looks at the way that these guys were sent off to do a job and they you know they weren't given the whole story and they were sent off to kill people that weren't directly related to it and just about that cycle of violence and the way things you know I kill you and then you kill me and then our kids kill each other and how it's just this, this vicious cycle it, it's fantastically directed whenever I want to think about a great action sequence or the way to direct action, I always think of Spielberg, just because a lot of directors nowadays, they use handheld cameras, and they try to make things really jittery. You know, Spielberg has a very classical style, and that, that bit where they bomb, they, they put the bomb in the, the telephone, and the little girl goes to answer the phone, and oh, and then, um, 
I, I is it is it the Kieran Hines? Is that his name? Yeah. Um, takes off running and the, the sound cuts out and it, it, I mean. That is how you shoot an action sequence. There's some amazing bits of suspense in this movie. I, I love, yeah. And the way that he, he frames everything visually. I mean, there's just so many directors tell you things. Spielberg shows you things, and he tells you things if he has to. But he, he gives so much more information visually. Um, I love the film. I love the ending and the last shot. Oh, my God, the last shot is perfect. Anyway, I love Munich. I, I'm, I'm with you guys all the way, and then I think it's one of his best films. And I think you could make the argument... That Munich, I don't know, it's hard to say it's his best film just because he's got so many great films, but you could, it's certainly in the top five, maybe even the top three. Yeah, uh, it's hard to keep talking about it because it's just going to be more praise, but yeah, I, I, it, the movie's like two hours and like 45 minutes, something like that. It's like it, not obscenely long, but it's long. And arguably it could be shorter if you, if you want to say something like that. But I mean, it, I, even though it is like it's it, it's dealing with some dark subject matter and it is a drama, it still does have those Spielbergian moments that are on the more entertaining side. Like it's not certainly not a popcorn movie, but it it's not like just downer the entire time. Like there is some really good scenes in the movie. There's like there's a lot of there's a nice camaraderie established between the guys and like there's there's even a solid scene that involves like what the um Eric Bana and his crew against like another crew that are staying in like the same room. Oh, that's wonderful. And like Daniel Craig is having kind of a, a radio battle against the other guys. They keep kind of turning the station back and forth, trying to figure out what they can settle on in, in terms of how they can deal with each other in the same building. Like there's just little moments like that that just work in this movie that, you know, keep it from being just too much of a everything's depressing the whole time. Like it's a movie that works on many levels and I I just admire that so much and just And Jeffrey Rush is great in this movie. Yeah, yeah, he is. He's fantastic. He's a good and, like, Munich, this movie was made, like, so quickly. I remember, like, he just finished War of the Worlds, and he just went for it. This movie was just done. And he was, like, racing to get the, like, he did all the editing, like, on, the, like, within the same, like, you know, span of time that he shot the movie. And he, like, he had to deliver it at its due date, and he did it. And he, like, got and it I don't done. Feel, I don't feel like anybody remembers this film. I feel like this film has been forgotten, sadly, by a lot of people. And it's, yeah. it's terrible. I mean... Look, I mean, personally, out of, if, if you do one thing after listening to this podcast, if you go watch Munich, I think all of us would be extremely happy. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, like, this movie did come out, like, it got, I mean, it got nominated for, what, uh, Best Picture, and I believe it's Spielberg got direct, for, for director there was, and whatnot. There five nominations, I think. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Director, editing, original score, picture, and screenplay. And, like, I, it's worth it. I think, <laughs> like, it's such a... It's a nice accomplishment that you're able to like. I love when Spielberg does two films in the same year, because you know, it always feels like he's you know he's working hard and like it really shows. Like you have that Jurassic, Jurassic Park is in his list. Last word of Amistad, not not so much. But then like catch, right. catch catch me if you can, Minority Report and War. This of the movie Wars. lost a crash. This movie lost a crash for heaven's sake. Come on. Yeah. It... <laughs> yeah. This movie and Brokeback lost a crash. Yes. That's horrific. But uh, yeah, M- Munich. It's good, good, solid, good, solid film. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Um. All right, let's move on to the next one. It's going to be Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I believe Alan and I have talked about this fairly recently in our Indiana Jones yeah. podcast. But Adam, I know you're a bigger fan of this movie than many. Look, this movie is completely frivolous. It does not need to exist at all. You know, the Last Crusade ends perfectly with them riding, literally riding off into the sunset. So. On that level, you know, I, I completely acknowledge that it doesn't need to exist at all. 
That said, I had a fantastic time with this movie. I just really enjoyed it. There are certainly there are problems with the movie, um, in addition to the fact that it doesn't need to exist at all. I mean, so yeah, it's not perfect by any stretch. The CGI ants are really dumb. Shia LaBeouf swinging with monkeys is really dumb. But I, I just really enjoyed myself. I really did. I liked the aliens. I liked the fact that, you know, you could maybe extrapolate and say, well, hey, maybe the aliens were responsible for some of the other phenomena that Indies investigated over, over time and whatnot. So, I mean, I just really, I really enjoyed this movie. I can reiterate my thoughts. I like the movie. I don't love the movie. I think it, it, <laughs> once you get to Miriam driving off a cliff with all of them and then they drive over three waterfalls, I'm just checked out of the movie at that point. Uh, even before that, the, uh, the whole chase through the jungle, I'm not really into. Mainly because, and I've talked about this, but I, I, as much as I like Anna Skabinski and the movies we talked about and how he's whacked into those, I really hated cinematography in this movie. I, because it doesn't feel like an indie movie to me. And because I love Douglas Trumbull, I believe his name is. I love his work on the previous indie films. I really did not like what Kaminsky was bringing to the visual look of this, the, the aesthetic of this vision, movie visually was not. Well, he totally cheated. I mean, they said, look, we're going to use practical effects and not go CGI heavy. And then they, then they totally went to CGI exactly. out. And that's to the film's detriment. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Frank Marshall lied to me. That was another big factor in why. I mean, and, and yeah, I, I've said it before, honestly, the, I, I enjoy the archaeology aspect of the films prior more than this one. This one I just get bored by Hitty Harris and Ford mumbling directions to me about what's going on in the plot. That, that's kind of, those are my kind of main issues with it. Even though I still, I admire a lot of the movie in its opening. I, I don't, I, the nuke the fridge scene, I like. I don't, I don't like that scene. That makes it, that's just fun to me. It's like, oh yeah, Indiana Jones, you got out of the way of a nuclear bomb because there's a little line refrigerator. Like, and even like the car chase, I think is the high of that movie. The, uh, the open, the, the motorcycle car chase thing that's going on through the college. Like, that's fun. That's just fun. Oh, yeah. It's fun stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's. And Shia is actually not too bad. I don't mind. Shia's not bad at all. I, I, like, like, I, was, I ragged him really hard, like before he, I saw the movie because I was just so mad he was going to be in it. And then I watched it and I'm like, I got to give props to, to the book. Alan, honey. I don't really remember what I said before, but it's it's a movie that exists that doesn't need to. Not as bad as people say, uh, but it's not good either. Like there are moments that are good, like there are moments that are fun, but it doesn't feel the same as the other Indiana Jones movies. Like all the other Indiana Jones movies are kind of similar in layout and structure, and shows this one, but the other ones. Has something special that this one was missing. Oh, it's like the Godfather Three problem. You just waited too long. Yeah, probably that too. That's no, yeah, that was another thing. All right, let's just move on from Indiana Jones. Let's move on to a very similar film, um, The Adventures of Tintin, which I believe Alan and I we discussed last year when it came out last Christmas. I think yeah. you're on that. You're on that episode, yeah. and we both really enjoyed this movie a lot. Yeah. I believe, especially yeah. I think I think we might have even said things like, "This is the movie that Crystal Skull wanted to be." I think that seems like a very yeah. familiar phrase. Adam, have you seen Tintin yet? Did you? I have not seen Tintin or Warhorse, so I, I Spielberg and 2011 for me just kind of didn't didn't happen. Well, that's a shame because I actually like both of those movies quite a bit. I, I, I'm not opposed. I, I would like. I'd rather see Tintin than Warhorse, just personally. I'm not really opposed to seeing them. It's just where I was uh, on a personal level, I just wasn't able to get out to the theater much. Fair enough. And yeah, Tintin. 
Um, it's a fun. It's a it's a fun movie. I've watched it a lot actually. I've been I've even watched it. I was watching half of it like last week while I was on my lunch break. Oh really? <laughs> Cause, yeah, because I have it on my iPad, so I was like, I'm gonna watch Simpson right now. Uh, get in my Spielberg mood. I haven't um, I haven't seen it since the theater, but I just got it the other day, so I'll probably keep it a little bit. Oh, I think the villain kind of looks like Steven Spielberg. I thought <laughs> that was really funny. The uh, um, yes. What What did you guys rate Tintin like? You know if. On an overall scale, like I think your... theater, I, I, yeah, almost I, I, always say theater or not watch it at all. I said, yeah, I said theater, and then yeah, I yeah, I gave it like a four on my scale or whatever my four out of five in my written review. Yeah, and I think it's just it's a it's a it's an enjoyable movie. I like that it um what I admired a lot about it was because it's set in anime in an animated world, it allows Spielberg to go just wild with what he wants to do visually. Like, there's a lot of the way you see action in Spielberg movies, there's a, there's a touch to it that you, you can see his hand directorially. And I think that goes into overdrive mode in this world because of the way he's able to, he's freed from having to use practical cameras. And so he can just move the camera wherever he wants to. And there's just some great, there's like a whole, there's two amazing action scenes in this movie. One involves a pirate ship and the other involves just this incredibly long, continuous take. Through, beautiful like, through a town that's being like destroyed and it's, it's, it's like, like what do you want to do for the bicycle for the motorcycle chase and <laughs> yeah. it's 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 stellar adam there's this one scene that's just cool and i know that a lot of people will criticize it because it was a cgi um like because it was cgi that it shouldn't count among other great one take shots but the fact is it exists and it's awesome so. it's great <laughs> it's great because this isn't the imagination and the ingenuity behind it is so good. Yeah. I'm on Netflix right now, and yeah. I just put it at the top of the queue, so we're nice. going to do this. Nice. It's really yeah. Fun. yeah, Tintin, a lot of fun. I, Jamie Bell's performance as Tintin's like, fine, and Andy Sir- and Andy Serkis is just a lot of fun as Captain Haddock. Daniel Craig is the villain in that movie. It's just, there's just little things in there that I just really enjoy overall. I like watching Tintin. It's, I'm uh, kind of bummed we're not going to get a second one. I don't know, we'll see. I hope why, we do. Why, why are we not going to? It, it made it. It made it. For for those who aren't aware, Tintin is a based off a comic book character who's more popular everywhere else except America. And when it came out in America, it didn't do like crazy well. But that's mainly because it didn't matter. It already made a ton of money overseas. So so they're not going to make it. Because we'll of we'll the see because it was a financial viability. Or? Well, no, we'll see. I mean, I I think it's probable that it'll happen. I just think Peter Jackson and Steven Spielberg, who are you know collaborative collaborating on this whole Tintin project. I think they just have a lot of things to do right now. So, so wasn't it going to be like Spielberg was going to do one, then Jack was going to do one, they're going to co-direct, and then and then they co-direct like a third one. Oh, that would be so cool! And I, I, right. I'm not going to I'm not going to put it past them that it's not going to happen. I mean, it's CG, so it's not like you know you have to worry about certain aspects of it. But and now we're getting three Hobbit movies. We're getting three Hobbit movies exactly. So it's kind of like Peter Jackson's a bit busy right now. So we'll see what his involvement on Tintin's going to be. Wait like until the the, the quad the Cimmerian quadrilogy comes out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, but yeah, that said, I I enjoy Tintin quite a bit, and I'm happy that it exists. <laughs> and it has Snowy the awesome dog. That's the other the last thing I'll say. Tintin. Snowy, uh, <laughs> way better than Uggy from the artist. But hey now, hey now, I love Uggy. He's a good dog, but Snowy's practical. Right? Snowy's awesome. <laughs> All right, so but listen, if your house was burning down, would Snowy save you like Uggy does? He would, yeah, he would, and he would be able to file the insurance paperwork too. Exactly. Awesome. Okay. That's how cool Are that That's how cool Snowy is. Um, let's move on to the next one, Warhorse. Alan, did you see Warhorse? No, I don't watch Stereo Park movies. Thank you. So, no, you haven't seen Warhorse? 
No, I really haven't. Okay, I wish Mark Hoban was still on because we both saw that movie. We both really liked it, actually. I mean, it's not the the common thought, I guess, is that this was just too sentimental. I think was the biggest naysay about this movie. It looks like ten thousand pounds of cheese on a cracker. Come on. I and I mean, Aaron, can I pretend that I've seen the movie? No. The um, <laughs> what the movie presents, I think, is is. Much better than the implied nature, and in a similar way to Lincoln, where I think there's a certain perception of what the movie is before actually seeing it. And regardless of the fact that, yes, it is kind of Spielberg's grand, sentimental, epic film about this horse that brings joy to people, there's a lot of dark going on in War Horse that people kind of seem to not want to, like, address that that, that fact. Like, there's a lot of... there's there's this the depiction of World War One and trench warfare is pretty intense, and this is like a PG-13 movie, but like it, there are some scenes in here that are like really, they're not easy to watch, and I I think that gets lost in the shuffle amidst the you know, hey, there's this little girl and a horse, or this little boy and a horse, and they love each other, like that kind of stuff, and I mean I it's not a it's like it's not like a movie that I'm going to like revisit often. It's not it's no Munich. <laughs> it's it it has like. I wouldn't say it's flawed, but it has, like, its share of issues that, like, don't make it, like, the most... I have a, a friend that, that is convinced that, that War Horse is a, quote, painterly masterpiece. But he's a huge Spielberg fan, so kind of have to take everything he says with a grain of salt. Well, and, and it, in ways, goes. it kind of, like, is in what it's trying to do. Like, it's well, certain... it, mm, okay, I just... I haven't seen the film, but my, my friend kind of gave it one sort of vibe, and I just, again, I haven't seen it, but it doesn't seem like the kind of movie that would fulfill everything that he presents. But, again, I haven't seen it. Okay, and... Hey, I mean, Aaron. Yeah. Would you say that the war horse is the glue that holds the movie together? <laughs> what are you doing there, uh, Alan? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. You're welcome. But yeah, I mean, War Horse, it, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily have nominated for all the things that it got nominated for last year, but I think that the cinematography in the movie is fantastic, for sure. And that was, yeah, mm-hmm. Kavinsky nailed it with that one, as opposed to Crystal Skull. And, Wait, uh, when you got, when you got ten slots, you can do a lot of stuff. Exactly, yeah. And, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I, I liked War Horse. I, I was, I was with it. And, uh, I believe Abe did too. Actually, I think we all did to an extent. I think Mark Johnson was on that podcast, and he was he he agreed that it was too way too sentimental, but still like admired the film overall. That's what I'm recalling. But yeah, I mean it's fine. War Horse. Um, so I want to do this. That that's kind of concluded. I mean that gets just to the end. That brings it back to Lincoln. But I wanted to kind of do this. this oh yeah, I like Lincoln. Yeah. <laughs> I I yeah I uh, Lincoln. The. Uh, the reason I wanted to do the Spielberg thing is because it was someone that, that I respect um, said that they were disappointed in Lincoln. They didn't like Lincoln because they didn't think Spielberg was challenging himself as a director anymore. So I wanted to bring that to you guys and ask you what you think of that statement. Who, who said uh, that, man? If I might ask. Did we know the guy? Or? No, you don't know the guy. It's not, he's no one that's been on the podcast or anything. No, I think he did challenge himself. He showed restraint because it could have been schlocky Spielberg and it wasn't. I think he wanted to tell something more sophisticated and something more in the vein of what he thinks is appropriate today. And he didn't want to tell a full-on Hallmark-type story. Like, sure, there were moments in it, but how are you not going to have those kind of Hallmarking moments in the middle in the middle of a Lincoln story? It's just, it's going to come with the territory. But I think that he did challenge himself by making a very 
restrained, very focused film about Lincoln in the last four months of his life. I really can't disagree. I mean, he, it's it's not a, a Spielberg tour de force from a directorial standpoint. So, I mean, I guess it's I can understand. Say what? There's no 1941. Well, I, mean, <laughs> um, I guess I can I get where your friend's coming from, but I don't see it as, as negative of a thing as as your friend might. I think with where Spielberg's going and, and various projects, he's, he's talked about a couple other projects, and I think... If you talk, I mean, you're looking at, we just discussed a really challenging decade for Spielberg. So yeah, I mean, compared to that, sure, it's a little bit more restrained. But I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. And I think, I don't think he's out of gas, though, your friend is implying. Yeah, that's kind of what it was implied. And especially coming off of, coming off of things like Tintin, where he's literally putting himself in a whole new spectrum of filmmaking. And, I think it's because because he continues to want to challenge himself in the same way that like Scorsese wanted to challenge himself uh, with Hugo last year and the and how he's it's not it's not like he was using like 3D and 3D cameras because like hey this seems like an easy way to do things it's because he wanted to use like a new tool and see what he can prove to himself as a director and I think Spielberg has done the same thing with a movie like Tintin and then with a movie like like Lincoln for the reasons that Alan has said and how he's not just making like the the movie that people would maybe stereotypically think that Spielberg would make a movie called Lincoln, which would be like this all-encompassing Lincoln movie that has an actor who has a booming voice as Lincoln and, you know, gives the grand speeches and what have you. I think, no, like you, like Alan has said, there's a level of restraint that I admire in how he was able to bring that story to life. It's funny, though, because it's one of those movies where it simultaneously is kind of everything you'd expect it to be, and yet it departs in some pretty noticeable, you know, areas, too. Because I very much think that it's the kind of movie that if you said, okay, Laundry List, Disney, Spielberg, Lincoln, Daniel Lewis, like you get what you expect, but maybe you didn't expect everything you got, if that makes any sense. I think your friend is thinking that he saw the movie with Liam Neeson and not the one with Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> because I think, I don't think Daniel Day-Lewis would have done the movie if it was made another way. You know what I mean? I don't think... Uh, Spielberg gets this weird little rap where he is a very generational filmmaker where he defined a generation with Close Encounters and Jaws and Raiders of the Lost Ark and then he kind of went into the early late 80s, early 90s with Last Crusade and Jurassic Park and Hook and that was really kind of important for our generation I think um, his problem now is that he challenges himself all the time so every now and then he wants to take it easy like the Terminal that's why yeah, you know, you just did Minority Report, Catch Me If You Can, AI. Take a breather, go make the terminal, that's fine. Then he comes back and he makes War of the Worlds and Munich, and he challenges himself all the time with with either the genre that he's working on or the script that he has or a technical aspect. He's always challenging himself. So I think he's our most versatile director. I think he's our most important director because of all the challenges he's willing to make and how much he loves film. I don't think there's anybody living today that can really hold a candle to him and i know that scorsese is still around but scorsese has a very specific kind of niche that he excels at spielberg trying to just goes everywhere spielberg can do it all that's and and i know i used to get a lot of flack when i went to film school and said that spielberg was my favorite director and they're like ugh, why didn't you pick like david lynch i was like because i love steven spielberg and i think he makes the movies that people want to see and he's the reason i'm sitting in this classroom just like everyone else i def- i defend spielberg all the time and i don't think i need to and that's what gets me the most upset Mm-hmm. He, 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 what what kind of bums me out in the same vein is that you know he's always seen as this very commercial filmmaker, 
And he's certainly a he's a great commercial filmmaker. He's one of the well, he's probably he's I, the I commercial he's filmmaker. He, exactly. he invented he commercial, most, <laughs> but I mean the most successful filmmaker yeah. from as far as box office goes. But people don't see him as the artist that he is, and don't they don't give him the credit he deserves, and it's a real bummer. I think he's I, on. I like sorry, Adam. But do you think he's an auteur? Because I do. Yeah, no, absolutely, sure. I, I would go with auteur any, any any day of the week. Totally. I, I mean, still, I don't like those, that I have to defend him. It just irritates me. When you're looking at all time, you know, great directors, and you can make the, you can say that now. You don't have to wait for his career to be done. And mm-hmm. you know, if you're going to talk about the greats, I mean, yeah, he invented a new kind of filmmaking that actually made money, and he also made a lot of great movies while he was doing it. Come on, what, what's what's wrong with art and commerce coming together? He's one of the few that can do it right. Absolutely. This irritates me. All right, well, let's see. Next up for Lincoln. Next is for Lincoln. Next up for Lincoln. He's still dead. Wutaba. Uh, next up for Steven Spielberg. He has Robocalypse. Robo, Robopocalypse? Robo, Robopocalypse? Apocalypto? The big Robolaski. The, 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 uh, the prequel to Pacific Rim nice. is his next uh, movie. <laughs> um, yeah, that's going to that's gonna basically... I wrap up the whole Spielberg spiel for now. I, I mean, yeah, I, I kind of echo a lot of your, your all thoughts on Spielberg. I, you know. Oh, let's let's start a potential, potential project. Grant, starring Jared Harris. Let's do this. Grant. <laughs> <laughs> let's do this. That'll be the Pixar short film that accompanies the Lincoln DVD. Absolutely. Um, all right. So let's just let's let's move on into um what we're what's coming up uh. Coming up next week, um, Abe should be back. And basically, Thanksgiving presents many different films coming out, including Silver Linings Playbook, Life of Pi, The Rise of the Guardians, Hitchcock, and Red Dawn. I don't know which film we're exactly going to be talking about, so I think Abe and I might kind of go to different guests and kind of do like mini reviews for one, if not several of those movies, and kind of put in together like one big hodgepodge of a show that consists of multiple reviews. Some of you guys might even be on one of those podcasts. A little thing. Oh well, good to know. Uh, would that be would that be one of those things where like we all tape it once, or we just tape in like little segments here and there? That's what I mean. We'll tape little segments here and there, and kind of put it all together. Short awesome, story. awesome. I'd love that. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see what people see, and you know how we do it. And you know there will be an episode next week. It'll consist of one, if not four, reviews. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but I'm uh, moving away from that. Next week, a lot of movies coming out. Twilight's still out. Skyfall's still out. What's going to be number one at the box office? I don't need a number. Just what do you think is going to be number one? Twilight. Big Twilight. Wait, next week, Thanksgiving weekend? Like the after Thanksgiving weekend, yeah. Like that Monday. Oh, balls. I didn't even think about that. Um, probably Twilight. You think Twilight? Yeah, because it made one forty. If you cut that in half, it's down to 70, and I don't think Life of Pi or Rise of the Guardians are going to get that high. No chance. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what the counter would be, except maybe maybe Rise of the Guardians. That's the only one that I'd see a chance at breaking through. But yeah, it just depends on how many people saw it. But then again, I mean, there's so many movies right out right now, and people that wanted to see Twilight saw it this weekend. So we'll see, I guess. But maybe Lincoln? Yeah, Lincoln might break out. Or, I hope so. Or, I mean, or, it's the weekend for it to do it. Or Hitchcock, because people will be clamoring to see. Do we know if Lincoln's going to expand any further theatrically? Um, I'm not sure offhand if it gets more theaters from here. I'd imagine it might. Because that's really the best bet for them if they can push it on Thanksgiving weekend with that long weekend and the family audience. Let's do it. 
Because you're going to get like a lot of people. I think it'll be like oh. an older family. Like, I don't think little kids are going to want to go see No, not, not little kids. But I mean, like, the, the extended family trip oh, to the yeah. theater on Thanksgiving weekend. Like, kids, let's go see Lincoln. You know, There's like, just so many things. So, like, Life of Pi is, like, easily would be my family pick if I had one. Like, but I don't think anybody really knows it. People would feel safer. The, the, Lincoln has the name brand recognition that Life of Pi doesn't. Fair enough. But Life of Pi is a tiger. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, or Rise of the Guardians, I guess, for that matter. Life of Pi does have a tiger. Um, I want to see the Werner Herzog version of that movie where he just like films a dude with a tiger in a boat. I think that's what Jack Reacher is, right? This is in the... Oh, snap. Um, hey, Aaron, I've been meaning to ask you a question. Good timing. Did you cross Alex Cross? <laughs> I've retired the segment of Did I Cross Alex Cross because I have not crossed Alex Cross unless I get Alex Cross to review on Blu-ray, and then I can cross Alex Cross and tell you if I crossed Alex Cross then. Then you can cross that off your bucket list. Exactly. I can cross Alex Cross off my bucket list. Um, so I think that's going to bring us to the end of the podcast. That's going to do it for this episode of Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You can find more of my work on my personal blog site, thecodeiszeke.com, where you can find all my written movie reviews, as well as at wisetheblue.com, where you can find all my movie reviews there, as well as my Blu-ray reviews. Um, you can also find me at twitter.com slash Aaron's PS3. Alan? Yes. Where can people get more of your work? <laughs> like, yes, you can baby. find me on uh, Twitter on the Mr. DVD, MR DVD, or uh, VHS Diaries that I'm probably not going to update for a while. And, you know, P.F. James Burbank. P.F. James Burbank. That's where I live. Adam? This is awesome. So now if you guys want to stalk Alan, you know exactly where to go. Okay. He's giving free love. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Giving free raps. He's the manager with free hugs. Yeah, Adam, um, you and I, we're going to go up there eventually, just have P.F. Chang's and just have Alan's service. That'd be a lot of fun, actually. <laughs> I would love that. Not, whether or not we were served or not by Alan, having a chance to go to P.F. Chang's would be great. Yeah, we, we um, you can find more of my stuff at moviesmackdown.com, at twitter.com slash anarchist, and at my personal blog, Things I Know About the Movies, located at www.everythingyoualwayswantedtoknow.blogspot.com. Great. And you can, of course, find all the other episodes of Out Now with Aaron and Abe on iTunes, also at hhwlod.com, where you can find our show along with all the other shows on that network, including the Walking Dead TV podcast, which is currently in full swing, and I've been contributing weekly episode write-ups for to help out with that show. Um, outnow.podomatic.com, you can find most of the newest episodes and some exclusives. Out Now YouTube page, this is the page that has all the the main review section of it into a YouTube post. So you, if you wanted to skip past the various segments that we do and just hear the main review of our movie, you can go to our Out Now YouTube page. Just search Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You can find it. Outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to email in what you, you know, what you thought of Spielberg in general. What do you, what do you, you know, thoughts on Lincoln, thoughts on whatever. You go happy to get emails, happy to get, you know, any quarter message there regarding thoughts on the show. Facebook.com slash outnowpodcast and Twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. You can follow and like those pages and have access to all the episodes of our show and all the updates that we do and what have you. Um, before we go, I did put out a Twitter question for anyone to ask any anything about Spielberg while we're recording, and I did get one. What are your top five favorite Steven Spielberg movies? Offhand, do you have an answer for that, Adam? Oh, my gosh. Um, I can pick some, but I don't want to put them in any... I'm not going to... I'm just going to... Arbitrarily, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say this is the best or not because that's. I haven't thought about it that heavily. Um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um, uh, AI, artificial intelligence. Uh, Munich. Three. Oh shoot! So three. 
I, I, I love, I love Hook. I'll stop at four. Okay. Uh, AI, Jurassic Park, Munich, uh, Last Crusade, and my favorite, one of my favorite movies, uh, Saving Part Ryan. Yeah, um, um, Jaws, Raiders, um, yeah, Last, last, yeah, Jaws, Raiders, that's it, Last Crusade, uh, Munich, and, um, I really like Minority Report. Always? Did you like Always? Oh, no yeah, that's right. Yeah, my, no it was sure. our, yeah, no, I, I mean, that, that, those are, those are six through ten, actually. Yeah. No sure if you're lying. No, five, 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 five through one. Yeah, nine. The kick the can segment. Nine, 1941, 1941, Sugarland Express, Duel. I really like Duel. Um, <laughs> Amistad, and of course, Always, when we could try this. Um, yeah, those, those are not true. I also really dislike Hook, but that's a conversation for another time. Um, really? Thanks. Yes, I do. Dislike Hook quite a bit. Um, I thank like Hook. And since I was a child, I dislike Hook. Uh, anyway. You had a terrible childhood. It's too long. Um, I think I liked Hook because I played hooky from school. True yeah. story. Okay. And that pulled me out to get... <laughs> Thank you guys for coming on this episode. Yeah. Talking about Spielberg. Thanks for having us, Aaron. We love you, Abe. Yeah, Abe, thanks for, you know, editing was, the show. You're talking about <laughs> Abraham Lincoln, right? Both. Of course. Yeah, yeah all versions of Vampire Hunter. Um, so that's going to do it this week. Thank you for listening, anyone that stuck around this long, <laughs> as we rambled on to the ending. Uh, until next time, so long and goodbye.